listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network as we come to you for our final movie of End of the World Month. The End of the World is here. So this is what we are wrapping it up with, a movie about the end of the world, which we've been doing for the last month anyway, but this one is the movie you've all been waiting for because when you think about end-of-the-world movies, you think about a batshit crazy movie from the year 2009 that basically said, fuck it, we don't even care that this movie doesn't have a plot. The world is going to get destroyed no matter what bullshit science we say. And that movie is 2012. Roland Emmerich reached peak Roland Emmerich and finally, with his end-of-the-world mind, peaked and said, screw it. I'm going to let a boat crash into Mount Everest. That's always been my dream. It's going to happen, and it will happen in this movie that is 2012. My name is Ben, and I didn't even kiss a boy until I was in college. <laughs> um, and somehow, let's, well, let's just say, it. my name is Colin, and somehow I forgot that we did opening lines. So <laughs> this is my Woody Harrelson impression. Ah! <laughs> you could have just gone like, ooh, I'm the ocean. Um, <laughs> that's my impersonation of the ocean, apparently. Oh, 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 let's take two. <clears throat> my name is Colin, and the Summer Olympics usually get cancelled in December of 2012. <laughs> yes, that is so true. <laughs> I actually picked up on that this time when they're like, it's the London Olympics have been suspended. It's like, what, in December? <laughs> When do they think the Olympics happen? Um, I mean, again, this is many reasons why 2012 might be one of the most batshit crazy movies that have ever existed. This movie is just, wow, peak movie. Um, In a day and age where movies tend to be realistic and you can sit down and for the most part go, oh, yeah, that could happen. Then 2012 came about in 2009 and just... Wow, Roland Emmerich, what a man. <laughs> I mean, this this movie is insane, but this movie is also insanely entertaining. Can I just say that? <laughs> um, I mean, it's starring everybody's favourite actors in 2009, Amanda Peet. There it is. We've finally <laughs> said a name, not just the other woman. It took us a few episodes to come up with it. John Cusack, Tandy Newton, Newton, uh, Danny Glover, Oliver Platt, and, of course, and has I, have I practised this at all during the week? Chia Wattelajaya for. <laughs> Closer than I've heard any other person get in a long time. <laughs> and Woody Harrelson. Uh, <laughs> And everybody's favourite Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator, Lyndall Grant, who really should be fired from his role because he's a terrible Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, This movie has a lot more big names in it that I also remember. Holy crap, Colin, this movie is something, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) I mean, wow. 2012. What a movie. What a movie indeed. (laughs) Um, You kind of nailed it. This is... Everything that's wrong with logic and <laughs> screenwriting and, and fact checking and stuff like that. But I have a feeling that Roland Emmerich just didn't care. He's like, I'm just going to go out and make the most entertaining, ridiculous disaster movie ever. You know, day after tomorrow, we had tornadoes and we had hail and we had a giant tidal wave. I'm going to throw every disaster movie I could possibly throw into one movie. And I'm not going to worry about if it makes any sense. And I'm not going to worry about if if it's logical or it's scientifically accurate. I'm just going to make a ridiculously fun movie. And I think he did succeed. I mean, I think 
between this and day after tomorrow, you know, I always prefer day after tomorrow. Uh, but I didn't really have a problem with this other than the fact that it, wow, it is insane. <laughs> uh, there is nothing logical about this movie. But I remember seeing it the first time and being like, you know, that movie was a blast. It was dumb, but it was a blast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm the same. I do prefer day after tomorrow, but there's just something about this movie. I mean, this is what you kind of want from an end of the world movie in some aspects where it's just batshit crazy but entertaining. I mean, I think the, the few that we've had in the last decade after 2012 just have failed. We've talked a lot about them. I mean, Geostorm failed miserably at, at trying to capture an end of the world movie vibe. Even San Andreas, I mean, that was okay. It had the rock in it. Um, but, I mean, that mm-hmm. was kind of the end of California. That wasn't really the end of the world. So, you know, it kind of this is really the last decent one. I mean, I know we probably said that a little bit about Day After Tomorrow, but this is just check your mind at the door. I mean, literally the plot of this is explained with a guy at the beginning in an elevator and then they try and correlate that with Woody Harrelson talking about the Mayans and then that's it. I mean, let's be honest. We wanted a movie about 2012. We remember the year 2012 and everybody literally thinking the world was going to end. It was always a thing that people were worried about. And if anyone was ever going to make a movie about the end of the world in 2012, it was going to be Roland Emmerich. And he did exactly that because this man just has something wrong with him that he wants to see the world being destroyed. I, like, <laughs> you know, what is it with, with Roland Emmerich? Like, is he a Bond villain, like, in real life? Like, he's just like, if I can't really destroy the world, let me film it being destroyed. Because this is three movies, four, I guess we have to count Independence Day Resurgence, right? He kind of destroyed it again. Mm-hmm. Four movies yeah. where he's destroyed the world. Uh, I, I mean, that... He, he needs to see a psychiatrist about this issue, I think. <laughs> uh, I mean, a psychiatrist probably would have helped, you know, fill in some of the plot holes in this movie, too. Uh, that's another benefit. But you really do have to appreciate the insanity of the man and, and his dedication to it, because I feel like the disappointment of things like Geostorm, it has me longingly remembering the good old days of 2012. <laughs> You're seeing the <laughs> most ridiculous movie you know, you'd seen all year. And you at least had fun with it. You know, it is kind of a weird thing. I think with disaster movies, I, I brought this up on um, Tremor, which episode it was we did, Outbreak or something, that uh, in my opinion, disaster movies, you're not supposed to be rooting against certain people. Um, and the best example of that would be the the movie Poseidon. I hated the fact that there were characters in that movie that you were supposed to be cheering for the as the audience member when a character died. And that's not the way that disaster movies are supposed to work. He really does break that at times in this movie, uh, but I feel like he has equal disregard for every character. Uh, <laughs> if there's one thing that I think that that maybe if he had had, I, I honestly believe that he probably came up with this last minute. He didn't even come up with it. That's the craziest thing. His composer came up with the idea for this movie. <laughs> um, or he came up with the composer. We mentioned past episode that the guy who did the score for Day After Tomorrow and everything wrote the screenplay for 10,000 BC. And then he's like, oh, let's do another movie, 2012. So who knows when they started writing this? But you know very well, it was probably like 2009, 2010. They're like, oh, look at all the stuff in the news about the Mayans and the end of the world. Wait, there's an idea for a movie. What, the Mayans in the end of the world? Yeah, okay, so what are we going to show? The end of the world. Okay, so what do you want to put in it? Everything. <laughs> so maybe it was a bit rushed um, because they a movie like 2012, you want to get in by 2012. It will be like making a Y2K movie in 1999. You know, your release date is non-negotiable. Uh, I, I kind of wish that maybe they had spent a little bit more time on the characters 
just because even the hero characters in this movie I find extremely unlikable. Yeah. Um, there's really one or two likable characters in this entire movie, and the rest of them I honestly couldn't care less if they died. But again, this is a cartoon. Like I think if we were to rank every true disaster movie ever made, this definitely ranks as the most absurd uh, and, and the, the least far removed from our real world. And you could have done this animated. Like, let's be honest. If you made an animated 2012, it really wouldn't have been that much different. I completely agree because the biggest thing I think on this rewatch is that none of these characters seem to even give a shit that the world is ending. Like literally every single yeah. sequence where they're running from something, they're laughing and they're like, oh, we just escaped, lol. Let's get on to the next part. <laughs> like it's kind of, this is where we see with the day after tomorrow. Like it, it felt maybe more grounded and realistic, even though that obviously has lots of problems. But, I mean, you think about other disaster movies that we've compared our month to that we haven't covered, you know, Independence Day, Deep Impact, Armageddon, you know, these ones like that, like, it, it it's a sense of realism, but I think it's also the characters that really sell those as well. Um, I mean, day after tomorrow, yeah. great characters, you know, as we, mm-hmm. we have gone over. Um, Independence Day, one of the best character-driven disaster films, maybe the best. Uh, I think what I love about that movie so much, I mean, Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman, like you, you've got these charismatic people in that film that just sell it. And then like Armageddon, this to me is similar to Armageddon in the fact that it is so fast-paced. You never get a breath in this movie and it is kind of so batshitly, crazily stupid if you actually analyse it. Like Armageddon, again, quicker to train drillers to become astronauts and it is astronauts to become drillers. Okay, sure. Um, But the difference, I think, between this and Armageddon, you like the people in Armageddon. Like, you've got great personalities in Armageddon that make it. Most of them. Most of them. Who don't you like in Armageddon? Uh, Owen Wilson. What's wrong with Owen Wilson? (laughs) I don't mind Owen Wilson in some things. He's one of these guys where it's like sometimes – Owen Wilson is too much. And even though he has a small role in that movie, I'm like, you know, other than the Han Solo discussion he has, I'm like, okay, you can die. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was Owen Wilson's semi-serious phase, wasn't it? Because he was in Anaconda the same year or the year before, right? Owen Wilson was in Anaconda. Armageddon and Anaconda make up Owen Wilson's serious <laughs> face. <laughs> well, Vince Vaughn was doing Jurassic Park at the same time. They were trying to experiment with their type of acting. Wasn't Owen Wilson in, like, Black Hawk Down or some war movie? Mm, I don't think it was Black Oh, he did Behind Enemy Lines. Oh, That's probably go. what you're thinking. Yeah. yeah. That was his serious phase, one movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, he tried. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this movie, like, it's got a great cast and it. It's weird because, like, I don't think it's that you don't like them. It's just I don't know if you just can take a breath to even understand what these people are enough to care about them. Like, yeah, I mean, John Cusack's a likable guy. Chia Wetelijafor is a likable guy. (laughs) Amanda Peet is a woman. Tandy Newton (laughs) is a likable actress. You know, there's likable people, but I just feel that all of a sudden it's like, well, do I have enough time to realise it? Because, oh, my God, the ground's breaking up. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's kind of just you don't have any time to compute anything in this movie. So, yeah. But, again, it's just fun. Like, why is this a a terribly bad? This is like Batman and Robin. It's a shit movie, but it's just fun. Do you know what this movie is? This movie is the one good sequence in Independence Day Resurgence. Yes. Yeah, Independence Day Resurgence, they did not care about the movie. The story was even more cartoony than this. Um, but there was that one sequence of the, the planet in the Earth's atmosphere and everything getting thrown out of whack that was just mind-blowing. And here, 
they have that one sequence about six or seven times, yeah. which is what I think helps. And, and the other part is, I think, a, a more likable cast as far as the actors go, because, again, I, I don't like John Cusack's character in this movie, but I like John Cusack. You know, Woody Harrelson is a nutcase, but he's also the probably the sanest person in this movie. Um <laughs> You know, Danny Glover, you know, uh, Tandy Newton, you know, they're, they're, they're just kind of bland in there, but you like them as actors. So I think he picked the right cast for this movie to make you at least not despise the actors. Um, what I do find really funny is that you, you said about the characters who just they don't really care. It's like, oh, the world's ending. That That's the best way to sum it up. I mean, John Cusack, who's supposed to be your hero, he doesn't respond to any of this. And I think that's maybe the unfortunate thing of John Cusack's acting style is that I don't think he's the type of guy who really could get very worked up and scared. He's basically playing this the same way he did. Did you ever see Gross Point Blank? Oh, years and years ago. Mini Driver, With right? Mini Driver? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but like, that's one of the examples of, I said in the last episode, like, I was a huge John Cusack fan uh, between Say Anything and uh, Gross Point Blank. Uh, you know, he did so many movies. I, I, I would watch anything he was in, High Fidelity. And in this, if I were to just take his movies, like, this is John Cusack just playing John Cusack, it feels like. Um, and... Maybe a different actor could have brought a little bit more intensity to it. Maybe Woody Harrelson brings a little bit too much intensity at times. Like, I don't know. It's I don't feel there was a lot of direction here with the actors. I feel like they focus on the visuals and, and it works, I guess, to a certain extent. If I'm just going to get it right out of the way here, the characters that I actually find the most likable are the ones that I think you're supposed to hate, which are the rich Russian family. Yeah. Like, I love them. Like, yeah, they're fun. <laughs> and I would you. rather they live over some of these poor, you know, uh, uh, middle class Americans who are trying to sneak a ride on there after they, they worked all their hard earned dollars to save themselves and let everybody else die. Like, let the other people die. I want the rich Russians to live. And and let's be honest, too, that uh, this is going to be another one of these movies where I think we analyze that the so-called asshole villain is actually right the whole time. Oliver Platt kind of right for most of the whole movie with his viewpoints so just putting it out there yeah i, I mean john cusack is such an odd choice to lead a action end of the world movie uh, i mean you talk about but then again, Wilson. so was dennis well that, that so was dennis quaid yeah. i guess in 2004 yeah i mean true true and we sort of talked about that but um and colin it's Dennis Quaid. Um, Dennis Quaid. Thank you very much. But, I mean, it's like it's like Danny Glover. I forget he's in this movie. Either, and he's a freaking president. You know, like, I feel that should be something that, again, should be a bigger deal. And, I mean, think about Independence Day. We love the president in that movie. You know, Bill Pullman. Like, wow, that <laughs> made him one of my favourite actors, having seen him in that film. You like Bill Pullman. You, you were on board with that. And then they fucking destroy him in Independence Day Resurgence. Like, they destroyed every single other freaking character yeah <laughs> god damn that movie sucks um but i mean amanda pete is in it and <laughs> let's just keep if we titled our episodes amanda pete is in this <laughs> who is she like even looking at we, her we filmography look we, we, we looked it up and we're like oh yeah she was in that oh yeah she was in that yeah. and we still have no clue who she is yeah she's not a good actress um she was in <laughs> identity with john cusack so i don't know maybe they uh had some contract where they had to do multiple movies together mm. um i mean she's again she's not hateable in this movie i feel like a lot of the other characters do come across almost as unlikable she's not hateable but she's just bland you know <laughs> there's there's exciting people in bad roles in this movie there's exciting actors in unlikable roles there's unlikable actors in in 
likable roles, and then there's Amanda Peet. She's there. <laughs> and and I just want to go through some of her film. I've selected titles here to see if maybe she chooses certain types of films. <laughs> Virginity. She's the one. Grind. Touch me. Simply irresistible. <laughs> Whipped. She's a porn star is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking there is. Whipped. Um, please give <laughs> the way, way back. Trust me and sleeping with other people. So wow, this is where Amanda Peet shines in these other movies that we're not watching, apparently. <laughs> so there you go. And look, Amanda Peet, you're probably a nice lady. I I, I don't know. No, but if I, if I walked down the street and I said to 20 people, name me five famous actresses, I would bet a lot of money that your name would not come up once. Uh, <laughs> 200,000 people down the street, name me five favourite actresses. <laughs> Your name wouldn't come up once. Even if I asked your mother, your husband, John Cusack, <laughs> even if I asked you, even if I asked Amanda Pete, I don't think your name would come up. Is it entirely possible if you asked John Cusack who played your wife in 2012, he's going to say Tandy Newton? Yes. Um, Danny Glover. <laughs> Cheer would tell. That's the one. Which, um, if we can talk about just my love for several of these actors, because even more so than Roland Emmerich doing another big disaster. Well, let's be honest. Roland Emmerich doing a big disaster movie was what got me in the theater. But the other thing that got me really excited was these four big actors that I'm like massive fan of in here, like John Cusack and Woody Harrelson, who, of course, like childhood favorite actor of mine. You know, Tandy Newton, just go back to listen to her Mission Impossible 2. Um, and Chiwetel Giafor, I had seen him in a couple of things. And, uh, he had had a, a supporting role in American Gangster, which I guess is what got him a lot of attention. But there was a movie he made called Red Belt that um, it was this smaller indie movie, kind of a character crime drama. He played like a martial arts instructor and almost imagine like an out of sight, you know, uh, get shorty type story. Uh, but I just remember seeing the movie and thinking like this guy should have gotten an Oscar nomination. Like it was such a subtle performance, but like so like electrifying. And I remember just being so crazy about this movie that I went and told everybody I saw, go, go watch this movie, Red Belt. I don't think a single person saw it. In fact, I borrowed a copy of Red Belt to my brother. This was what year did Red Belt come out? Can you see that? 2008. 2008. So I think I had this 2009. I borrowed a copy to him in 2009. Um, three years ago. 2017 he gave me the copy back and i'm like did you watch the movie it says never got around to it I'm like seriously you had this movie for what eight years and you never watched it i just uh, there's one that i would love to cover red belt because he, he was so good in that movie that all of a sudden as soon as he started popping up in other things i'm like oh i gotta see this like um uh, the same year this came out he was in salt with angelina jolie again completely stole that movie and of course he got nominated for an oscar a couple years after for 12 years of slave but like this is i think everybody has those actors that Nobody really knows who they are, but you just 100% back them and then they become, they start to become a big star and you just get excited. You're like, I called it way back when. That He was one of those actors for me. How is Tim Allen in this movie? In Red Belt? <laughs> I'm looking, is this some serious movie, movie that Tim Allen's in? It is, yeah. Well, it's, he plays kind of like a, a very pompous, uh, kind of drunken, belligerent movie star. To himself. Uh, he's playing Tim Allen. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's a fun movie. Uh, it's it's if we ever did like a you know crime character drama indie month, maybe we could fit oh. it in there. Or <laughs> coming the soon. That was on my month. list of movie months yeah. to suggest. I've been waiting for you to bring that up. Good job. <laughs> but no, still good movie, and it, it's it's cool to see that even now, still years later, like 2012 is you know 
not like <laughs> that's what everybody remembers him for, but he still pops up in pretty movies, obviously now with the, the Marvel movies, you know, Doctor Strange and everything. And The Lion King last year. How did you oh. enjoy his scar in The Lion King? Well, he destroyed Be Prepared. He did it as slam poetry <laughs> rather than singing it. I mean, he's no Jeremy Irons, but, I mean, he was one of the few, I would say, that maybe did sound like they were giving a little bit more than simply a table script read of people just <laughs> remembering the script from The Lion King. It's a <laughs> god-awful movie. It really is. <laughs> it's one of the worst movies sure, I've I'll ever seen. I'll get around to it. Oh. I'll get around to it whenever my brother gets around to watching Red Belt. Yes, yes, I'm sure that will happen. <laughs> I'm just reading here, though, that... Um, um, Roland Emmerich said in a Time Out magazine interview that he had always wanted to do a biblical flood movie, but he never <laughs> felt like he had the He's just sitting around going, okay, I've done Aliens. All right, that, that's good. Um, oh, I want to do a giant radioactive lizard. Okay, um, climate change, yep, we'll do that. Okay, looking good. Um, oh, but I really want to do a biblical flood movie. Come on, give me a hook, someone. Somebody give me a hook. And 2012 happened. Well, <laughs> this is around the same time, I think, or maybe a year or two before uh, that that Russell Crowe Noah's Ark movie came out that, that may still be more cartoony than this. Um, so maybe he made the right call by doing this and not the, the Noah's Ark movie. Maybe. I've never seen that movie. So should I see that movie or? <laughs> I mean, it's it's the most solid film ever made where Russell Crowe talks to rock creatures. Okay. <laughs> Coming soon, Russell Crowe talks to rock creatures month. There's another one. Oh, God, you're going through this bucket list of ours very quickly. Thank you. Segways are fantastic today. Um, I I actually, you know, I've got a bit, bit, I don't know if this is just me being dumb or this is just something that isn't that obvious. The fact that you do have a character in this movie called Noah and that there is boats and arcs in this Um coincidence yeah, yeah yeah i never even i never even put those two things together okay, that's just me then good all right um uh, i mean oh, colin how did you not get that reference that is so obvious um but it's just like we we've been spoiled for choice in the last 10 years when you kind of have these movies such as like the expendables you know and they, they bring these sort of people together that you kind of always want to see and like this to me is like as a fan of end of the world movies this is just that type of movie where it's like oh holy crap like you're just going to town and we'll get into the movie in just a second but like in all seriousness you know we try to explain the plot of day after tomorrow but the plot of day after tomorrow actually is incredibly scientifically accurate compared to this movie because as i said yeah literally we get somebody at the beginning of this movie going down an elevator going oh yeah there's been a solar flare and the planets are aligning and Oh, look at this water. It's boiling, which means the core is hot. Uh, crust displacement. End of the world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just it's ridiculous. Because, like, again, we talked about this, I think, in the day after tomorrow. You know, Independence Day, you get what the big deal is. There's aliens destroying the planet. Easy. Armageddon. Deep impact. There's a meteoroid or an astro- uh, comet about to destroy us all. Cool. Even outbreak. Monkeys are going to kill us all. Okay. Fine. Don't go near monkeys. Problem solved. This movie, fucking planets are lying, <laughs> the Mayans, Woody Harrelson. Solar flares. <laughs> Solar flares. Cheer with Toll, Gia 4. <laughs> Amanda Peet. No, I was going to go there, but I kind of stopped myself. Uh, I mean, All I needed was B.D. Wong. Oh, my God. How good would this movie have been with B.D. Wong? Jesus. Nothing would have gone but- Wong then. No, too soon. Okay. <laughs> Do you Move think, on. though, that, that 
part of his mistake was trying to pull a day after tomorrow and explain this. Like the premise of this movie, which we should go back in time, you know, I don't know, to 2010, 2011, whatever around there and remind people who maybe weren't around or forgot that this existed because everybody started talking about there was an ancient Mayan prophecy Mm. that said the world was going to end, you know, December of 2012 or whatever math they used to work out. The Mayan calendar was going to end December 2012. And that became like a minor version of Y2K. It was more something where people just intrigued, you know, oh, the, it intrigued people to learn about the Mayans. And I think uh, a couple of years before this, there was another movie about the Mayans. Um, Mel Gibson directed it was a po- Apocalypto, a really yeah. great movie, which is nothing like this, not a disaster movie. It was just sort of like uh, a chase film. But uh, that movie was the one that kind of introduced the Mayans to people. And then between that and the prophecy, people were like, oh, well, this would be really interesting. What if the world does end in 2012? And it never really gained the traction that something like Y2K did. But the reason for making the movie was just they predicted the world was going to end. Nobody read those prophecies and said, well, how do they predict the world was going to end? They just said, oh, the Mayans said the world's going to end. The smart idea would be to make a movie that's just the world's ending. We can't explain it. We don't know what's happening. You know, to, to start off the movie with the, we're jumping in a little bit early, but to start off the movie with the science seems like that's kind of what was dooming it from the first place. If you just make this a movie about the world's ending, we don't know what it is, and then just in, enjoy the ride, you're not going to be nitpicking it as much. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, though, Roland Emmerich literally has gone, fuck it, this movie's batshit crazy. Let's get that shit over and done with and let's just get into the cities getting destroyed. That, that to me is what he did. He's just like, nah, mm-hmm. screw it. Screw it. I did it with Day After Tomorrow. People criticised me. So fuck it. There's going to be an Indian in an elevator. There's going to be boiling water. That's it. That's the science. Fucking John Cusack needs to get in a plane and run away from buildings falling down. That's all I want. That's all I want. And my biblical flood. Give me my biblical flood right now. It got us in the theatre, didn't it? It did. Bloody well did. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember seeing the, I mean, I guess our background with it, I, I do remember seeing a giant, uh, like a cardboard standee, you know, when you go to the theatre and you have like the the promotional posters and they have the big cardboard one sometimes. Mm. Um, I don't even know what I saw, but I remember seeing like this giant one of the the ground, basically L.A., falling into the ocean. And I think that was my first, like, oh, my God, there's an end of the world movie coming. I want to see this. So I'd not heard of it before then. So then I was looking it up and going, wow, this is awesome. And, of course, you know, opening day was there, saw it. And I think I only ever saw it once at the cinemas, probably got it on Blu-ray. I wasn't obsessed with this like I was day after tomorrow, but that's generally how I how I discover an end of the world movie is there or like Geostorm. I think I saw a poster somewhere. I'm like, oh, cool, end of the world movie. I'm going to see that. I will see any end of the world movie, even if it is going to be shit, which most of them are now. But if I see yeah. a poster with a city getting blown up or an asteroid or a freaking dinosaur walking over a giant Empire State <laughs> Building or something, I am there. It could star freaking Taylor Swift. I don't care. I will watch it. All right. So <laughs> that hooks me. Uh, and I mean, that's my history with 2012. There you go. <laughs> Um, I mean, my, I'm pretty similar to you. Just I, I didn't really know about this movie so far in advance. I think I'd probably heard about it, um, but maybe worried having come off to uh, 10,000 BC that this was going to be like 10,000 BC. You know, oh, it was a movie about the Mayans. I'm like, OK, great. We saw 10,000 BC. But as soon as I realized, no, this was a disaster movie, I was a lot more on board with it. I, I don't remember the build up to this as much like a, I'd be interested to relook at like the marketing and the trailers because I couldn't tell you what the trailers were for this movie the way I could for Day After Tomorrow. Yeah. I couldn't tell you the way that this was promoted the same way. Maybe it just wasn't 
you know, as big into the the marketing as like Independence Day, Godzilla, and uh, Day After Tomorrow were. But uh, I do remember, like, I was there opening night, um, and uh, uh, I think Jamie and my brother uh, were with me for this one. Uh, yeah, I remember them both being there. Uh, so obviously, we had a group of people who were fairly excited to see this movie, and I'm pretty sure we all had the same reactions, like, "Oh, that was ridiculous, but a lot of fun." Uh, but just like you, I saw it once. I think I got a copy. I, I did get a copy because I have it right here in my house. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I got a copy. I watched it. But, um, uh, you know, I think I've maybe seen this movie like three times. Maybe it was on TV a couple of months ago. Uh, and I watched it, you know, or most of it. And I'm like, OK, that's all right. You know, I don't go out of my way the same way as Day After Tomorrow. But again, I, I enjoy it enough that I'm never like, oh, why did I buy this thing? Yeah, I I think it, and it's yeah, it's definitely not a movie that I will go out of my way to watch regularly. But I mean, it is still a case you see it on the DVD shelf or you see something like, oh, that that's fun. I just want to you know a bit of fun. But one thing I always forget about this movie: it's bloody long. It's two and a half hours yeah. long. This isn't a two hour movie or something like that. This is nearly you know cracking on the three hour mark, which is and day after tomorrow is the opposite. Like yeah. that's only two hours and i always think that it's a longer movie and i mean this is the thing though with this movie though because it is so fast-paced and just so much crap is happening that you do kind of forget that it is that long i don't really remember the marketing either i mean i remember the that cardboard cutter i remember the poster with like it's like the the monk or the buddhist sort of on the mountain with the water and it's like we were warned or something like that um, but I'm just reading here that there was apparently a bit of a marketing campaign around it that they had a fake website claiming that, hey, you can sign up to be part of a lottery where you can be part of the population that will survive. And apparently NASA got calls thinking the people was real. <laughs> uh, so, um, good job, viral marketing campaign. You went a little bit too serious with that. But yeah, I mean, this 2012 phenomenon was a huge deal. I, I do remember that in 2012. Mm-hmm. And, again, we, we live through Y2K. We remember that as well. But, um, I mean, it made sense to do something like this. But it, it also does surprise me. You say about how you think of Apocalypto and, oh, you know, it's going to be like the mines. Like, there's really nothing to do with the mines in this movie. They mention it like three times. And then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. thanks, mines. I wonder if the mines watch this or people in, like, Central America uh, are watching this going like, cause the mines don't exist anymore. Do they like, or are they still a race? No, of they, people? They, that was kind of the, uh, the appeal people saw in it is that they literally just all died off overnight. Like nobody right. knows what happened. Okay. Clearly I know my history. Uh, I don't really watch Mel Gibson <laughs> movies. Apparently I didn't know if they like still existed in some form of, of race. Um, but anyway, I'm sure people in central America who are watching this with connections to their history are going, Hey, you only show a bunch of people jumping off one of the, our pyramids. <laughs> that's the only connection. You got an old scientist going, the Mayans were right. Um, apparently that scientist is from Wyoming, uh, well, which is in this movie, by the way, Wyoming <laughs> featured in this movie. Oh, gotta love Wyoming. I'm from Wyoming. <laughs> uh, but just one thing to add on the whole Mayans in the 2012 thing. Like I do remember seeing that in the movie and expecting this was going to be about the Mayans and the prophecies. And like you said, it's only mentioned once or twice. But the whole Mayan prophecy was really kind of ridiculous. This became a fad anyways, because all it came down to was that the way that the Mayans track their calendars, what we would consider December of 2012 was as far as it went. It would literally be the equivalent of if, I don't know, let's say 500 years from now, somebody picks up a Windows 95 laptop (laughs) and they're like, 
the Americans, they only predicted the world was going to go until, you know, December of 1999. You know, that that's basically all it was. It wasn't something where they predict they ever predicted. It was just their calendars reached a certain point and then everybody decided to jump on this as they predicted the end of the world but they actually didn't it was just the way their calendars were written yeah and it turned into a big thing didn't spoiler alert for those who weren't around in 2012 i don't remember it we didn't all die we are all yeah here <laughs> just in case <laughs> fast forward to 2020 though and as time of recording this we don't know coronavirus still happening you know what I mean, there's a very good chance that nobody ends up hearing this episode because we're dead already. Exactly. And if you don't, and if you find this in the future and you're like some new Mayan, the new Mayans are out, um, enjoy. Uh, We were looking forward to releasing this, but sadly it didn't get released. I was going to say, if you are listening to this and you know that the world didn't end, then please please leave us a five-star review and just tell us the world is still here. You're also alive, and we'll appreciate you passing that along. And also that we are living in Billie Eilish's world because that's the only reviews we seem to get anymore on our shows. What a great segue that was, Colin, into getting us reviews. Well done. You've been practicing. I'm very impressed. Good job. Mm -hmm. Um, We should probably get into this movie, right? Um, (laughs) Let's go for it. I don't even know where to begin. Um, Oh, I know. The beginning. That would make sense, right? Oh, how clever of you. Where'd you come up with that? I don't know. I really have no clue. Staring at Woody Harrelson makes me come up with amazing ideas, apparently. Uh, and there it is. Um, I'm a bit disappointed that the beginning of this movie, you know, day after tomorrow, it was the logo basically turning into snow, wasn't it? And, and this time around, we we get planets aligning. Where's like a, a Mayan temple or something like that, you know? Um, I, pff, I mean, there's sun flare. Cool. That explains the science of this movie, as we've kind of mentioned before. Um, <laughs> we meet Chiwetoli Jiffafor, and <laughs> did I get worse than saying his name in the last? It's it's, it's slipping, man. Yeah, it's almost like we had days between recording these sections. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you would think that um, that wouldn't affect things, but apparently it does. Um, so he's in India. It's not snowing at the Global Climate Change Conference this time around. Why is it both of these movies start off in India? What is Roland Emmerich's obsession with starting the end of the world in India? What's what's he subtly trying to say here? Um, and he meets his friend, Indian science guy. Does this guy have a name? <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Amanda Pete. Um <laughs> That's Amanda Pete, right? Uh, <laughs> get confused. Um, and they go into the what used to be the largest or well, the deepest copper mine in the world. He goes through instruments. It's really hot and basically something's boiling water. The sun's let off a flare. Again, this is the science of this movie. This is it. A sun has let off something <laughs> bad. There's b- water boiling near the Earth's core. That is going to cause the end of the world. Simple. There it is. We know what's happening. Cool. Let's get on to the destruction, right? Um Again, with the characters, you know, you don't really seem to care too much for them. Chiwetel Ajaya 4 ends up going to an important place where some important guy is, Oliver Platt. Who is Oliver Platt? What is he, the Secretary of Environment or something? like? Do we even know what his position actually is? Apparently, he is the uh, fourth in line or the third in line to become president, according to this. So I guess that he's the chief of staff. He, there we go. Okay, so he's now is that okay? I'm sure you know off the top of your head your line of <laughs> secession for the U.S. political system, right? 
is the chief of staff the fourth in line? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Jack Ryan novels and movies and TV show. And uh, in the novels, Jack Ryan eventually becomes president because it's basically designated survivor stole it from a Jack Ryan book. The idea that you know, all these people got knocked out somewhere in that book, it actually spells it out but i mean according to this movie it's president vice president speaker of the house and then chief of staff i guess okay well i've just pulled up the top 17 uh here for <laughs> just for everyone playing at home nowhere on this top 17 does the chief of staff appear so okay <laughs> vice president fair enough dead he dies spoiler alert or she could be a she don't know then it's the speaker of the house dead apparently then the president pro tempore of the senate the Secretary of State, the Secretary of the Treasury, Secretary of Defense, Attorney General, Secretary of Interior, Secretary of Agriculture, <laughs> Commerce, Labor. The Secretary of Health and Human Services is 12th. Whoa, whoa wait a second. <laughs> my God, Amanda Peet is one spot above she the is. Chief of Staff. Oh, my God. Look at look, B.D. Wong is 15th. Wong. <laughs> it doesn't even say. It you just could says, have had B.D. Wong as president. <laughs> it doesn't even say Secretary of anything. It literally just says. B.D. Wong. <laughs> Secretary of B.D. Wong. <laughs> I, I just want to grow up to be the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development in the U.S. because I would be 13th in line to be president. Like, that's a cool thing. What was cool Kiefer, Indignity Survivor, what was his official title beforehand? I think, was he in, was he interior, was he the interior or like, he was something really boring mm. or bland. Interior decorator, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Secretary of Jack Bauer. They installed that after 24. <laughs> no, he was. I think they say in the show that he was like 50th in line or something ridiculous. Um, but of course, that I mean, that is legitimately true. They have a designated survivor for the, what is it, the address, house of address. What's it called? The yearly thing they do? State of address, state of union, state of the union. There it is. Union, yeah. Thank you. Uh, we're clearly Americans. We know how our. Yeah. <laughs> Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. In in Australia, if you want to be Prime Minister, you get it, right? Everyone gets a turn. (laughs) In Canada, you've got to be hot and have a nice bum in jeans. That's it. (laughs) The the only reason Ben wasn't uh, PM of Australia is because he grew impatient of waiting and Noah got it before him. It's very true. Very, very true. That's how it all happened. Um, So anyway, the point of this thing is that nowhere is the chief of staff in the top 17. So, okay, cool. Oliver Platt, you do you, my friend. He is there. Chiwetola Jaijafor rocks up. Uh, he's not allowed to come in because he's not wearing a jacket. <laughs> this guy has news of the end of the world. He's the douchiest door person ever. <laughs> But not not only that, they say this is a black tie event. You need a jacket. He walks in with a jacket and no black tie. <laughs> I just want to point out, Dennis Quaid yelled at the vice president <laughs> across the other end of the room. Can Chia Watol for literally just go, Oliver, if we don't act now, it will be too late. I mean, literally Oliver Platt caves because Chia Watol for says, I've been on a plane for a while and I'm tired. Oh, mm-hmm. boo-hoo. Better tell me about the end of the world. Uh, this is the thing with this movie. Again, it's so thinly just they're trying to give you some characterness, but it just it just makes no sense. It's like this guy knows something from India. Tell this guy, Oliver Platt, who's going to be a bit of an antagonist in this movie, but let's be honest, he's an antagonist who is correct the whole movie. Um, he gets information and he's got a report to the president. Or what, what does Oliver Platt say? Like, you're about to meet the president or something like that. I do like the moment here where Oliver Platt's basically like, oh, you know, an important document from geology. Better listen to this. And everyone in the room laughs. Everyone in the room is <laughs> <Yeah>. listening. 
<laughs> like, it, like if, if, like Oliver Platt's colleague next door has a bit of a giggle, sure. But like, literally, there is like a laughter track. I'm watching an episode of Friends at this point because it's like. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but I also do like how, again, we don't know the characters' names. They're just the actors' names. Oliver Platt literally reads three words on a document. He's on the phone. You're going to meet the president. <laughs> cool. <laughs> he's he's secretly knowing. Oliver Platt's like, hey, I'm fourth in line for the presidency. This is going to end the world. Yeah. Danny Glover <laughs> will stay back because that's the type of president he is. The vice president will clearly die in a helicopter crash and the Speaker of the House, who knows what's happening with her, I'm going to be president in a couple of weeks. Let's do this. Uh, it's actually a couple of years, Ben, because this movie, shall we say, this is 2009 right now because um, yeah. the dates are on the bottom of the thing. Um, we then go to the G8 Summit, Colin, which is in British Columbia, funnily enough, <laughs> where I am right now. I do love how you've got Mounties, like literal Mounties guarding the door, like in their ceremonial. Would that would that be a thing? I know you've told me that Mounties no. generally wear that like in a parade, but would they be doing that at the G8 Summit? Uh, if there were photographers there, maybe. No, again, I don't think I've ever seen Mounties in what people picture the Mountie uniform unless it is a ceremony, you know, Canada Day or a parade or something like that. Like, it's it's just, it boggles my mind that people still think this is how Mounties dress. They dress like a police officer. And I, I see the RCMP cars here. I know what they look like. And yeah. they're just, yeah, exactly. They look like cops. Wait, they got cars, not horses? Uh, right. BC's ahead of <laughs> Manitoba, clearly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we're at the Jet Summit. Danny Glover basically is the president. Good for you, Danny. Uh, he's he was too old for that shit about twenty years ago, and now he's the president. Because it doesn't age. Danny Glover looks great. No, um, looks really, really great. And he tells everyone in the room, the G eight leaders, that the world's going to end. Essentially, the Russian president needs a translator, but Danny Glover's like, you won't need a translator. Why? I mean, does does end of the world come in basic English in Russia? Maybe it does. They're Russian. I don't know. Um, and then there's a weird side plot in this movie with the Italian prime minister. I don't I don't think I've ever picked up on that until now because we get this mm. weird shot of him looking the most concerned of everyone. Later on, the Italian prime minister is going to stay back, and then later on in the boat sequence, there's going to be a whole. I think I speak for the Italian prime minister. Why is the Italian prime minister important to the plot of this movie? No offense, to Italy. I like you, Italy. Pass is great. Ferrari's my favourite car. Good for you. But why is it so important? I don't understand. They're the 19th in line for President of the United States. (laughs) (laughs) Just ahead of Burkina Faso. True fact. Um, (laughs) You don't see the Canadian Prime Minister, though. I love how you see, like, the Japanese Prime Minister and the German Chancellor and all that. (laughs) You're in the G8, aren't you? I mean, I guess that's why it's in British Columbia. Me personally? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You, Colin Hilding, represent Canada, the Canadian economy at the G8 <laughs> summit. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> but Canada, yes. Me, no. <laughs> um, anyway, so there's a side plot of I think we're in Tibet. We see I, I had no subtitles, so I have no clue what is being said in this entire sequence. You might be able to fill the gaps here. They all end nope. up seeing it. <laughs> Were there subtitles on yours or were there just no subtitles? No subtitles on mine. I have a DVD copy, but I didn't want to dig through a box to get it, so I just downloaded it legally, of course, but yeah. no subtitles. Me too. Okay, cool. Well, for all of those who are into really finding out what happens in this movie, get into the nitty-gritty <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to us. Um, basically, this all borders down to a bunch of Tibetans listening to, I guess, their leader. And sorry if this isn't Tibet, if it's Nepal, or it's it's somewhere in the vicinity of the Himalayas. 
they're getting talked at by some dictator-looking dude and all of a sudden the cliffs blow up because that's clearly where they're going to build the arcs. Great. This is still in 2010 now, I think we're in at the moment, or 2009 still. Um, Mm -hmm. A rich Middle Eastern guy is told he can have a seat somewhere. Then we're in 2011. The Mona Lisa gets saved and swapped with a fake. Again, it's French spoken. I don't know what's being said. I've been in Canada for two months right now. People I haven't learned it yet. Um, basically, the guy who's the head of the, I can't say, the Louvre, Louvre or whatever you call the bloody place, the Mona Lisa, or is that some French word? Um, he is going to get killed soon because Tanny Newton Cause knows he's him. Because he's French. We meet <laughs> Tanny Newton. Her most prominent role ever in any movie, but we're happy because it's Tandy Newton. She could be the she could be one of the Mounties in costume, and we'd still be happy she's in the movie. Absolutely. Uh, oh, she'd look good in a Mountie uniform. Actually, Get, make it happen, Tandy Newton. You know, yes, <laughs> a Mountie uniform. Um, and then we're going to meet the star of this movie, John Cusack. Who now, if you were, if you were going into this movie, Colin, thinking, I wonder what type of character John Cusack's. Oh. He might play a father. No, that, that they would never have a father in a movie like that. Oh, maybe a bit of a deadbeat. Maybe someone who's yeah. a terrible. <laughs> no. Never in an end of the world movie would there be a deadbeat dad who's late to seeing his kids for something. We haven't mm-hmm. come across that at all in any of these movies that we've talked about <laughs> in the last month. Not every single one of them. <laughs> Admittedly, Sandra Bullock's not a dad, but, I mean, you know, she nearly thought one of her children would have to kill themselves so she could survive the water. (laughs) (laughs) Deadbeat mum. That's that's modern cinema making for you. That's equal rights now, people. Instead of being the deadbeat dad in every movie, you've got the deadbeat mum. We've finally come full circle. Yeah, that's woke uh, end of the world filmmaking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> John Cusack's angry because he can't start the car. Oh, just lucky he's a limo driver. <laughs> <laughs> what if he was like a bike messenger, like Spider-Man <laughs> 2, you know? <laughs> I don't think they're going to be bike riding to Yellowstone National Park. I mean, <laughs> Meanwhile, in California, there's a ground that's cracked. Uh, I should also mention that John Cusack just happens to be an author because there's a not an obvious shot of all these books falling on the ground with this massive monk shot on the back. <laughs> we get a random woman. What does she say? Like, oh, I told you we should have moved back to Wisconsin or something like that. <laughs> I really wish she had said Wyoming, but she said Wisconsin, yeah. <laughs> the, the other W state of the US. Um, but so he's basically picking up his kids because uh, they're going to go camping in Yellowstone. Um, he sees a guy holding a sign saying, repent, the end is near. It's not Morgan Freeman, which I was a bit disappointed. I thought this could have been connected to Bruce Almighty, but it's not. Um, we meet everybody's favourite actress in 2009, Amanda Peet. Uh, what was she, 14th in line for president? Yeah. <laughs> um, he has two children. One of them wets the bed. We meet um, Gordon, is it? Uh who I feel we're meant to hate, the Gordon. Yeah, like I feel we're not meant to like this guy, but why do we end mm-hmm. up liking this guy more so than we should? I, I, I'm confused. Uh, it's so poorly written. It, oh, I'm going to have lots of opinions on the problems with Gordon. Like, again, let's think of any disaster movie where we're not meant to like this. I mean, okay, Twister literally comes to mind. Jonas. Oh, not Jonas. Well, Jonas, we don't like Jonas, but um, the one we love, is it Melinda, Melissa, the one that we all feel? Oh, uh, Melissa, yeah. Melissa. Yeah, we love her, right? She was Dr. Reeve. Like, that was her name. And we loved her so much. That was what our second episode we ever did. Go back and listen to it. We always find the one Mm. random character every movie we love. That was it. (laughs) She's the one we're not meant to like at the end of the day because we want Bill Paxton to end up with Helen Hunt, right? 
Maybe not the best example because she's not a nut route bitch. We actually like her, but I don't think we're meant to, but we do anyway. Um, but Billy Zane in Titanic, you're not meant to like him. You meant Rose is meant to be with Leonardo DiCaprio. There you go. But we, again, we like Billy Zane. Bad examples. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> the point is, <laughs> we are not meant to like Gordon, but we do at some point in this movie, and it's odd. That's my mm-hmm. little rant. Um, just to, just to clarify, if it feels like I'm rushing through everything here, this movie is very quick. There are lots of little scenes that are just thrown at you that you have to digest. I'm going at the pace of 2012. So <laughs> <laughs> we've met John Cusack. We've met Gordon. We meet two old guys. They're about to get in a boat. There's a bit of rough sea. Oh, that's not normal. Oh, well, let's still get on the boat anyway because we're old and jazz singers and we won't be connected to other characters in this movie at all. Uh, <laughs> Because <laughs> everyone in this movie is connected to everyone somehow. It's it's the Spider-Man franchise all over again. Every single villain mm-hmm. has happened to be connected to Peter Parker. The old French guy that we learnt before had some connection to Tandy Newton. He blows up in a car. He's saying something French. Who knows? We later find out, spoiler alert, he was going to hold a press conference to tell the world that the world was going to end. Why is the head of the Louvre? holding a press conference. Like, is do French journalists sit around going, ha, 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 the head of the Louvre wants a press conference. It must be pretty serious. Uh, like, do you the, think it could be end of the world? If the head of the Museum of Human Rights in Winnipeg announced yeah. that I'm holding a press conference tomorrow, <laughs> oh, eh, this isn't very good, eh? Maybe we're losing the Jets again. Uh, like, and not to mention... If he does hold the press conference that says the world's ending, don't you think everybody in the world's going to be like, he's the head of the loop. What does he know about geology? <laughs> like, exactly. Like, you know, is he the Let 18th? Hold the press conference. Is he the 18th in line for the president of the USA? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. I don't get this movie. But it's fun, everyone. Keep remembering that. Uh- um, anyway, so the French guy dies. Tanny Newton storms into a uh, Danny Glover's office. Oh, look at that. She just happens to be the daughter of the president. She's angry. Uh, Chiwa Joel, a tier four, is now like the head of geology or something like that. He stares at her, checks her out. Oh, I wonder if they're going to hook up at the end. Probably not. Danny Glover's wife's dead. Let's remind her. You remind me of your mother. Oh, no, emotion. Um <laughs> <laughs> Exactly where this movie succeeds, the emotion. You have no time to digest anything in this movie. Again, the tone of my voice is very day after tomorrow. It feels like I'm speaking so negatively against this movie. I do enjoy this movie. But, like, if we are trying to be professional film critics here, if anyone pays us, like, five cents, we literally become professional film critics because we've been paid for our opinion. Do it. Um we are trying to, like, analyse the fact that this movie is, as we keep saying, it's batshit, bonkers, crazy, dumb movie, but it's still fun. Anyway, <laughs> there's a conversation here between Chia with Jujitol and Gia 4. I think this is about, what is it, like, oh, you should tell people. No, we shouldn't. Okay. Um, John Cusack and that drive to Yellowstone National Park. Now, I looked this up. It's like, I think, a, a 13-hour drive to Yellowstone National Park from Los Angeles. Like, this is halfway across the country, and yet they're mm-hmm. there in, like, a day? Like, that's a lot of driving for John Cusack to do. I mean, is that a Canadian it's- or a North American thing? Like, oh, let's just drive to Toronto this weekend, Jamie. Why not? Uh, probably not that far. What I find funny, though, is that 
there is no time passage on his way there. But on the way back, it's clearly morning when the mother yeah. says bring them home. And then it's like midnight when they get there. So the the long drive exists on the way there, but not the way or on the way back, but just not the way there. Now, and like, let's be honest, like if this is him picking them up, up on a week, even if it's a Friday, he's picking them up at nine o'clock in the morning. They're not, they're not there till night, exactly the saying. So they've got one day to walk around and they have to leave Sunday. What's the point of doing that? Like, yeah. there for 24 hours. <laughs> anyway, this movie's logic, as we are working out, isn't that sound. Um, at Yellowstone, clearly they go there a lot because, oh, this fence never used to be there. Oh, there used to be a lake here. Oh, there's a burnt-out deer. Okay. Woody Harrelson, meanwhile, is there and, uh, again, not acting. Woody Harrelson just wanted on set of 2012 one day. And they're like, what do you want to be in? <laughs> sure. <laughs> eating his pickles and his long hair, <laughs> spouting crazy. Uh, i got to say, Woody Harrelson is perfect for this role. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like, you couldn't have cast anybody else. And it's funny because he's such a small part of this movie, and maybe it's because I worship Woody Harrelson, but I always remember this as John Cusack and Woody Harrelson in 2012. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger is Mr. Freeze. Like, it's just, it's so perfect. Yeah. It just, you can't imagine yeah. it. And, and, like, Woody <laughs> Harrelson has so much fun in this role. Like, he just lives up to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, John Cusack, again, we've gone over kind of just John Cusack being John Cusack. But, but like, John Cusack doesn't phone this in or anything. He just... He's just no. John Cusack, I guess. <laughs> so, anyway, the point is, they then get, like, sequestered by the U.S. Army. I do love it, like, when their kids are like, who's that, Dad? The U.S. Army. <laughs> oh, the 23rd in line for the U.S. presidency. There they are. <laughs> and, like, this is what it means. It's like, this is the freaking U.S. Army. And they're just like, sir, you can't be here. I'm going to take you back to our secret base so you can hear all of our <laughs> secrets. Like, take them to the exit. Why do you take them to the, like, ground zero? <laughs> Here's a friendly conversation with the U.S. <laughs> Department of Geology who just happens to know his book. <laughs> he loves his book. He was one of the 200 people that bought his book. <laughs> so his dad bought the book. And then they shake hands. Cool. All right, let's take you back to the exit. Nice to meet your family. And this is going to play a part, what, two years later, this guy's going to remember his kids and that because they happen to have a CCTV camera in the gear room of Noah's Ark. <laughs> <laughs> How would he recognize him? He met him for three minutes. Okay, before oh, I recorded this episode. on the back. Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, but these kids aren't. Like, he recognizes the kids yeah, first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before I recorded this episode, I was in Walmart, right? I saw, like, 500 people. Am I going to remember one of them in three? Hey, you're that person who was in the produce aisle of Walmart in Victoria and Canada. There you are. Uh, it really is the equivalent of the amount of time you spend at the cashier. Yes. <laughs> Oh, this movie is so fun. Um, so they get kicked out. Um, Chiwetel G4 gets a phone call from the Indian friend. Um, you nailed it! Do it again! <laughs> Chiwetel Ajayi. Ah, oh, damn it! Oh, done. It's one of those fluke things, like <laughs> like the Canucks winning a game. Oh, that joke doesn't fly with you. You don't go for them. Um, the yeah, the Indian guy is basically like, oh no, the world's going to end faster. Chiwetel Ejiofor gets um, sad because he looks out the window and the kids are dancing. So, oh, no, children are going to die. Not the author's children. Uh, anyone else, but the- won't someone think of the children? Um, 
so John Cusack happens to have perfect uh, Wi-Fi reception in Yellowstone National Park and is zooming in where the lake should be. Apparently, Google Maps updates itself quick enough to say government restricted. That's bullshit. Uh, I've been on Google Maps streets that haven't updated in like five <laughs> years. Um, the kids are complaining. The sun is the worst in this movie. Can I just say that? <laughs> oh, all I wrote in my notes was this kid sucks. Yes. That's all I wrote. <laughs> Gotta say, little girl, not a bad actress for a little girl actress. She's and okay. Yeah. She's fine. But like the little boy, he like, and oh. what's his deal? One minute he's loving Gordon, the next minute he's loving his actual dad. Make up your mind, you little shit. <laughs> you can't love two father figures. Unless they're a gay couple, then you can. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> coming soon, John Cusack and insert actor who plays Gordon here. Woody Harrelson? Yeah, Woody Harrelson. Oh, no. <laughs> and speaking of Woody Harrelson, uh, John Cusack, who was listening to his radio show before, happens to wander into his, I guess, nationally syndicated radio program. <laughs> Uh, Woody Harrelson's a little bit crazy. Uh, oh, he did meet him before at the gate, I think. Um, and Woody Harrelson basically is one of these crazy guys who just happens to be right about everything, the mines. He's got a funny video about dinosaurs eating the planet, sure. Uh, he's got lots of pickles because apparently crazy people eat pickles. Um, lots of newspaper articles of lots of people dying. Uh, and I've got a map to them building spaceships. Hmm, that's not going to come in handy later on at all. Meanwhile, Gordon and Amanda Peet are in the supermarket. He says a line about, oh, I feel like we're being drifted apart. Lol, the ground breaks open in front of them. Ha, 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 ha. Roland Emmerich, you're funny. Uh, <laughs> how was it funny in Independence Day when he did things like this? But this time around, it's just dumb. Um, <laughs> there's a presidential debate thing with leaders around the world, the Italian Prime Minister is being a dick, the Canadian Prime Minister is on the screen. He's not as attractive as Justin Trudeau, unfortunately. Um, we meet the Russian guy at the boxing. I will let you talk eventually, Colin. I'm just probably getting through about a third of the movie here. Um, Keep going. We meet the Russian billionaire, which I'm with you. He's probably the best character in this movie. He's fun. I also yes. like his random blonde. I was going to call a henchwoman. But oh, she's the best. She's hilarious. That's my random. That's my random actor in this movie that I said there's a ra- – last week I said there's a random actor that I just love and th- I'll get to her in a second. I see, like, I, I love her, but I think my random one that I like the most is the pilot dude just because whoever's playing with him – playing with him, mm. playing him. I mean, if he is <laughs> Russian, then he is the most stereotypically sounding Russian ever, but whoever's playing him puts on the most stereotypical Russian accent and it's brilliant. I know. <laughs> <laughs> So good. He reminds me so much of um, the Russian dude in Armageddon, who was the same. He was a guy in Lost World who got eaten by the compies. He's the yeah, same actor. Yeah, Fargo. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him because like he's just got the most stereotypical Russian accent. He just drops like terribly. Like what is it like? American component, <laughs> Russian component, all made in Vietnam. Like just like dumb lines. You know what's funny about that? I um like my family is Russian uh, on my mom's side. And um, I, I can't do accents. Like I can't do any type of accents. Any the Canadian accent one's I do, pretty good. I, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I worked hard on it. <laughs> but uh, any other accents I try to do will always come out sounding like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like Jamie <laughs> makes fun of me because I will try to do, you know, an Indian accent, and it comes out like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But the only one I could do is a Russian accent. And I always said, if you want to nail the Russian accent, all you have to do is say the line from Armageddon. He goes, this is the Russian space station. <laughs> and that's how you nail a Russian accent. That guy nailed it. This guy, 
little too over the top, but fun. But it's like um, you and I recently recorded for 007 Now. Listen, 007 Now, listen. It's called 007 Listen Now. <laughs> My God. 007 I'm... Now is our paid subscription <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> we got st- a name for it. It's our nice. streaming service. <laughs> <laughs> 007 Plus, um, featuring all the 007 episodes in HD. Um, but, yeah, we, we talked in that episode about the what's-his-face and he's got that really stereotypical German accent, but it's actually, like, really good. Um, but, yeah, mm. I can I can do a Russian accent. Um, I can do an Australian accent. I can do an English accent, um, a New Zealand accent. That's about it. American accent. You could do it all. Pat on the back for Ben. He doesn't sound like Schwarzenegger when trying to sound your, Japanese. Your Schwarzenegger accent, though, is fantastic. Like, I, whenever I listen to <laughs> it, I best, had a lot of practice. <laughs> Every time I try to do a Spanish accent, it comes out like Schwarzenegger. I can't help it. Whenever I listen to our best of, which is too much, apparently, one of the favorite ones is like when you're there doing, I think it was our Jingle All the Way one, where you're like, get your hands off my nipples or my wife's nipples. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Listen to I have a best of combination of just the Schwarzenegger episodes. <laughs> That'd be too long. Jesus, that would have to go to double uh, 007 plus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so we meet the Russian guy. He's a boxer. He gets a phone call. They've got to, like, board now, apparently, because essentially I think they've found out the world's ending in, like, a week rather than, like, five years or whatever. And are we yeah. in November 2012 now? I they don't identify when it is. Like they say that the Summer Olympics have been canceled, mm. which would put it earlier the than July. that. But yeah, it, it would have to be earlier than that. But they never identify the time. All they say is it's too soon. Yeah. But they also never said they were buying into. Oh, it's going to be December 2012. I don't. Well, we know it's before December. So no. Well, I'm pretty sure there is a moment though where they say November, December is when the world's meant to end. I think there is. So I, I'm, I would assume this would maybe be July-ish because that's that then makes sense for the Olympics. So maybe I don't know. <laughs> Why are we debating the timeline of this movie? Um, <laughs> So the Russian guy needs to leave, and, oh, look at this. He just happens to know John Cusack. He just happens to be his limo driver. So John Cusack goes and picks up the kids. You know I hate little kid actors a lot of the time, but I actually really like these two Russian little shits. Like, there's just something about the sons that I like. (laughs) There's two of them. It's it's great. And we meet Russian pilot, um, and these kids are, like, the worst. But why do we always like the dick characters? Like, I don't know what (laughs) Because they got personality, at least. They're not Amanda Peet. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. If you do a personality test, you're either The Rock or Amanda Peet or somewhere in between. <laughs> the personality scale is The Rock and Amanda Peet. <laughs> the, the kids are up the rock end of the spectrum, right? <laughs> Gordon, near the Amanda Peet section of the spectrum, you know? <laughs> Pretty obvious. There starts to be earthquakes. Um, John Cusack gives his expensive watch to a pilot. Why do people in movies, like, if somebody said to me, I can't pay you, but here, have an expensive watch. Fuck off. Like, you could have bought that in Thailand from a street vendor. I don't know what a real one and a fake one looks like. I'm not going to believe you. Like, as if. (laughs) Just everyone who gets bribed just happens to be watch lovers. Um, Gordon and Amanda Peter are eating breakfast. 
the worst Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator ever is on yeah. the <laughs> I should have done this. You, Cast me, put me in, Emmerich. You have a better impersonation of Schwarzenegger <laughs> than this guy. Now, I looked this guy up. This guy is uh, Lyndall Grant is his name, credited as Governor of California. Uh, and, again, let's be a bit topical for people who don't get the joke, who maybe didn't realise Arnold Schwarzenegger was Governor of California this when this is set. So, ha, 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 hilarious. <laughs> um, basically, he's on TV saying, it is all right, don't do this, a freeze is coming. And then <laughs> this, I'm going to maybe, I'll cap it here at the end of this epic destruction scene because outside of everything in this sequence not making sense, this is maybe one of the best sequences of the movie for the action alone because, like, this is awesome. This is, like, city getting destroyed. This is what you're watching a movie like this for. This is what yeah. Geostorm missed. All the end-of-the-world scenes in Geostorm sucked. Like, they just were, mm. like, they were over in five seconds and they were just crap. This is, like, I don't know, five minutes long and it is the most unbelievable bullshit you have ever seen. John Cusack should have been having a career as a rally driver or something. Like, this guy is amazing behind the wheel and essentially he escapes the entire destruction of Los Angeles by getting to an airport. The pilot is dead, but uh, wouldn't it be handy if one of our random characters <laughs> took a, a pilot? Wouldn't that be so handy? I know, Colin, whenever I just meet random strangers, that often one of them has pilot experience. I just I make sure it always happens in case this happens. But Gordon's flown a plane before. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds? Uh, I mean, I know if we're all going down, we're going to be asking Rossi. Ro- sorry, Rocky. Rocky, <laughs> you've flown before, right? Oh, oh, only a couple of times. All right, you're our pilot, Rocky. I- I've played Grand Theft Auto before. Oh, ben, you're in. Um, I'll tell you one thing. Yeah. Knowing my luck, I'm going to end up on like a plane crash one day or something, right? I'm not going to have any pilots. There'll be no doctors. There will be no survival experts. Like every time you watch a movie or TV show, there's like think about Lost. Doctor Jack Shepard is there. Good for you, Jack. What if there were? What if we just had Bernard the dentist? They were all screwed. You know, <laughs> Boone wouldn't have helped. He would have tried, but you know, he was a lifeguard and he let what's the face drown. Oh, one of the funniest things ever. Anyway. LA's getting destroyed. John Cusack can save the day because everything around him. We've got little old lady. You would have loved the little old ladies randomly getting killed. <laughs> oh, but and the, like this is one thing. All jokes aside, I don't understand the logic behind the reactions in this movie. And this is where this movie, you said before, is such a cartoon because they literally have city buildings and cars falling in front of them. People are dying before their very eyes. The ground is lifting up. This is mm-hmm. destruction beyond all destruction. And they're just like, ah, ah, go faster. Look out, there's a bridge. Turn. Oh, I'm <laughs> glad we made that plane. We're okay. Lol. That, that's it. Yeah. There's no panic. There's no reaction or anything. Twister, when they drive through the house and Bill Paxton's like, I think we're going in. Like, that's what it's <laughs> He's like. He's freaking out. Yeah. But, like, it's, ah. Oh. But anyway, having said that, it is still pretty epic. Like, the special effects, I think, visually, mm-hmm. this looks fantastic. And this is why I watch End of the World movies. I do, I do like it when the plane is, like, flying Gordon with his two lessons, flying better than Maverick and Top Gun. Um <laughs> You've got, like, subway trains falling. Uh, You've got the US bank tower collapsing on top of them. Um, It's pretty epic. And 
Yeah, I'll, I'll cap it there. I think I've covered about literally an hour of this movie for you, but so much to go through there. I, no joke, I think it is close to half of my notes, but good. <laughs> um, okay, so a couple things here. All the science stuff at the beginning is so boring. Like, <laughs> it's funny. I, I said I've seen this movie a handful of times. You know, I, I caught a little bit of it on TV a couple of months ago. No, not the whole. It was halfway through or third of the way through. I watched it for a bit. Had to do something else. Whatever, but. I know this movie well enough as, as I watch it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this part. I remember this part. I remember this part. I never remember the science stuff at the beginning. Like, it's just dull. It's boring. And it, I don't even understand. Like, they're, they're near the core of the earth. Like, shouldn't that take them, I don't know, an hour to actually ride the elevator down? They're riding down for 30 seconds. Like, we are 6,000 feet below the surface. Indian elevators <laughs> are as fast as Britney Spears. Yeah, yes, exactly. And speaking in of which, John Cusack will be faster than Britney Spears in this movie. And we'll get to that. Oh yeah, she would she would tell a four. Uh, let's call him. You could call him Adrian too. I mean, his character's got a much easier name if you want. <laughs> but it's not as cool. Uh, Adrian just thinks, makes me think of Rocky. Yeah, I don't want to think of Rocky yeah. right now. Uh, but I mean, I, again, I don't really like his character. I don't like. I said at the beginning, I don't dislike the care all the characters some of the characters in this movie i do dislike but i don't dislike his character i just i don't care for him at all he's just there he's uninteresting you know um it, he's he still gets like a big moment later on whereas john cusack is sort of on on you're right he doesn't nobody phones it in in this movie but he's sort of on autopilot he's playing john cusack you know just a little bit more action involved but it's just there's nothing to his character we get introduced to him he's a sciencey guy with dennis quaid we get him as a hero right away in Day After Tomorrow. You know, with Sandra Bullock, we get the little bits and pieces of her character. And where they fail with the Adrian character here is they just introduce him. He's a scientist. He learned some information from somebody else and he passed it along. He doesn't do any work in this and he becomes the expert of the movie. That's true, actually. Uh, and, the scene where, and then the scene where he crashes the black tie event, it is the exact same scene from Outbreak where Dustin Hoffman – walks in and invites himself to a couple of drinks and like, what are you doing here? This is a, this is a formal engagement. It's the exact same thing. And I know that he discovered the world's going to end. Now there is no way he's got such concrete proof. He hasn't checked this with other experts. He immediately goes to the chief of staff. I have to interrupt this meeting. This cannot wait till morning. Are they going to accomplish that much in the six hours between, you know, this and morning? And also too, why does he have to do it in person? He said it's taken him 30 hours. Do they not have phones in 2009? Like, I mean, if this is this is literally the end of the world in three yeah. years, okay? Now, yeah, that exactly. might sound like a lot of time, but, like, they've got to build these fucking arcs in three years and somehow they do it. We'll get to that soon. But, like, like tell someone immediately, get on a phone. Like, <laughs> Exactly. I mean, in, in, in Armageddon, in Deep Impact, when they discover the freaking comet or whatever it is, they don't wait 30 hours to drive to Washington to see deliberate. Pick up the phone. He doesn't have the Wi-Fi of John Cusack, though, so he couldn't have sent the email. True. You know, I guess he had to do it. Yellowstone National Park, known uh, for having better Wi-Fi than India. Yeah, exactly. It's on the yeah. sign. It's welcome to Yellowstone Park. Better Wi-Fi than India. <laughs> um, also, uh, the, the Indian guy here. So his character's name is Satnam Suratani. Uh, I'm glad she called him the Indian guy. But Jamie looked at him and said, is that Steve Carell? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's a completely different race for one. Well, well, well oh, he just kind of looked like him. <laughs> funnily Let's enough, just call him Steve Carell. Funnily enough, Colin and Jamie, um, Jimmy Mystery, who plays him, 
often referred to as the Indian Steve Carell. It's, I believe it's, a, it's the, there's the Indian version of the 40-year-old virgin, uh, the Indian office, Indian gets smart. He, he's, you know, known as that role. So, Jamie, you're onto something there's, there. Our next T-shirt is going to be Jimmy Mystery, the Indian Steve Carell. <laughs> Oh, God, that's hilarious. Jamie, you really are from Wisconsin. <laughs> we, Wyoming. Oh, no, I got the W's wrong. Oh, Wyoming. no. <laughs> I'm from Wyoming. Boring, hey, I've been to Wisconsin and it, I was there for 10 minutes and it was kind of boring, but, yeah. Sorry to our Wisconsin um, listeners. Also, Go Bucks. While they were uh, showing the news clips of the G8 Summit or whatever, they also, I don't know if you cut to mass suicides in Guatemala. Oh, uh, yeah. Bird Box, yep, and 2012, same universe, maybe, maybe. Yep. Let's connect the dots. Yep, yep. Um, and then, oh, just the—I don't even think we realized this when we, we sort of when we watched Outbreak, we started to connect the dots of this is very similar to what we're going to get with John Cusack and Dennis Quaid. But I don't think we realized how identical these characters are, fashionably late. Um, it, it, the 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 children don't take an interest in this case. The dogs or ex wife don't take an interest in life. It's the exact same character every single time. Yep. And I feel like this this actually fails even more than Dustin Hoffman's character because with Hoffman you at least have a little bit of sympathy for him. And John Cusack, I'm going to go far enough to say that there are moments in this movie where he is an unlikable character. Seeing him sleeping in while working does not endear you to him as a character, especially when they spend the rest of the movie trying to convince you everybody's got the wrong idea about him. He slept in because he was working and and he's he's surrounded by his own books, his own arrogance. Everything's about him. And then wait till we get back from the trip. I'm getting more complaints about him. He's just an unlikable dad. And so I like Gordon better than Gordon's the JD of this movie. Gordon's the ones I like Gordon. (laughs) And I think like like JD in Day After Tomorrow, you're right. We are supposed to dislike Gordon's character and they fail. Partly because there's later on in the movie where they tell you you're supposed to like them, and then they they make them disposable. Literally. Another interesting. Are you familiar? Are you exactly? Are you familiar with the the actor Patrick Wilson? If you Google him, I'm sure you recognize him. Uh, something. The, the, I mean, I, I will, but I, the name straight away it sounds very familiar. Yeah, he's he's one of Jamie's dream guys. Um, he's most uh, well known, yeah. I guess, for the. Ins- yeah, he was in the Insidious movies, uh, the A Team, uh, Phantom of the Opera, uh, like really good actor. Uh, but Jamie's absolutely in love with this guy. And I, I I showed her when this came up, the guy playing Gordon, I'm like, doesn't he look like not so attractive Patrick Wilson? To me, they look like this is Patrick Wilson uglier <laughs> wearing glasses. He was a bad but guy in Aquaman. Patrick Wilson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess that's his most recent one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Tom McCarthy, who plays Gordon, I probably knew this a couple of years ago. Could not remember it. Had to look him up on Wikipedia to realize this. He has gone on to have the most successful career out of anybody in 2012, including Woody Harrelson post-2012. This man was nominated for, I think, three Academy Awards, won one, uh, and a little movie he wrote, directed, and produced one best picture called Spotlight. Wow. And he's also an actor, but this is the writer, director. I know he didn't produce Spotlight, but writer and director of Academy Award Best Picture winner so, Spotlight. <laughs> Academy Award winner Gordon, basically. Yes, <laughs> Gordon. <laughs> Gordon is a Best Picture winner. Well, that just jumped him up twenty-seven spots on the line to U.S. presidency, <laughs> didn't you? That's a well-known fact. You win an Oscar, you go up twenty-seven <laughs> spots. There you go. 
Meryl Streep <laughs> is in the top 15 because of that. Uh, well, she lost enough times that, true. you know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's She's... actually true. Yeah, you lose, you go down another five. So exactly. Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis, he's up there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Kobe Bryant sadly died, but he was up there. He was higher. He was actually higher than some very esteemed actors on that list. Kobe Bryant. Higher than Kevin Bacon. Fuck off. You know, Amanda Peet gained her spot when Kobe Bryant died. Yeah. That's how it happened. That, that's how it worked. That was always written in the Constitution. The day Kobe Bryant dies, Amanda Peet goes up into the top 15. Yes. George Washington himself wrote it. You can't lie with these facts. Um. So, Gordon, though, let's let's comment on some of the weird things about his character. <laughs> He's out there, what, like watering the flowers in his scrubs? <laughs> Is he going to go into work and perform surgery wearing the stuff he's gardening in? Like, I don't think you're allowed to wear scrubs outside of a hospital. Like, like, how unsanitary is that? You know, there's um, it started as a podcast, great, like, true crime podcast, became a TV series with Eric Bana uh, called Dirty John. Really good show. Uh, but it's basically a true story about a con man who said he was an anesthesiologist and tons of people would comment on the fact it's like he wore his scrubs all the time. And it's like, are you allowed to do that? And that's what people started to catch on that. He's maybe a bit of a con artist. It's like, he is not going to be wearing scrubs and then going in to perform surgery. Every scene in this movie, he's in scrubs. Does he sleep in these things? He's fueling planes <laughs> he's in them. Very he's very proud in them. that he's a plastic surgeon, Colin. <laughs> he loves his work. He would go on to win an Oscar. You don't diss him. Yeah, exactly. I like this guy <laughs> now. You're, ta- you're changing my mind. I like him now all of a sudden. <laughs> he made the most successful movie ever about journalism. Ben, this guy is your new hero, isn't he? <laughs> Outside of, what was that? Um, oh, I, I listened to it recently. We were making a joke about a movie about journalism. Um, never mind. It must have been hilarious. Oh, Tomorrow Never <laughs> Dies. It was like. Oh, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I was mentioning famous movie journalists and my answers was Lois Lane and Elia Carver. <laughs> <laughs> You're very I love in my the profession. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you could have mentioned Ben Waterworth, but no, you go to fictional characters. <laughs> Let's be honest. Both better journalists than Ben Waterworth. <laughs> True. <laughs> One sleeps with Superman, the other threatens the world. <laughs> Still better journalists. Uh, and in the trip out to Yellowstone, I find it weird that John Cusack is he's listening to AM radio. Another reason to not like this guy. What's wrong with AM radio? <laughs> That's like your grandma's radio. Like, and he's really getting into the song, and he's flipping through the stations, and like he finds Woody Harrelson. It's just he's not even like trying the FM stations. Just it makes him so much less cool here. Um, when they discover the dead moose or deer or whatever, another disaster movie cliche. Mm. Things that are rotting apparently don't smell in movies because nobody's repulsed by this, and they're hovering over it. Uh. And then when Chiwetel Ejiofor, when he's like fangirling out on his book, <laughs> it's just embarrassing. It's like, oh, wow, I am such a fan. Let me shake your hand. Can I get a selfie with you? Like, he read this book. Oh, my dad. I love what he did say. It's like, oh, you're one of the select few who bought it. Oh, I didn't buy it. My dad gave it to me. That was kind of funny. But like, he didn't even buy this book. And I'm sure you're a big fan. There's my uh, my cousin actually started one of those, you know, post uh, a thing a day things. Yeah. 
And uh, she nominated my sister, who nominated me as books, which can't wait to get to my nomination for Ben Waterworth. I was about to say, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for my nomination. Every single day we'll be like, Spot goes to the shop. Spot buys an orange. <laughs> but uh, I, I basically compiled the list because this one has no limits. I, I think I'm up to 19 books right now. And there are books that are among my 19 favorite books of all time that if I met the author – I'd be like, oh, you wrote that book? Really? Okay, I like that book. Hey, hey, nice to meet you. I would be like, wow, what a pleasure. <laughs> the most emotion that he shows outside of his big, you know, speech before everybody at the end of the movie is here where he's turning into a total fangirl. It's just, uh, these characters just do things that make me bo- uh, bothered by them. Um, yeah, I don't like the kid. Uh, the <laughs> little girl. Um, <laughs> uh what is the thing with her and hats? I feel like they yeah. were ripping off signs here with Abigail Breslin's character who the um, has the thing about water. Yeah, like they wanted this quirk, but it doesn't land in this movie. It's just a thing where she wears hats and well, she Colin, wears diapers. Yes. Sorry to interrupt, but did you not see the deleted scenes where by putting a hat on the ground, the mind stopped destroying the world? Oh, She's a prophet. Yeah, it's like the water and signs. It ended up saving them. So the hat saved them at the end of the day. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's a weird thing, though. They just throw into the movie. Uh, Woody Harrelson here is also just showing Roland Emmerich just, you know, putting himself on repeat here. It's Randy Quaid all over again. I mean, Woody Harrelson, I think, does a better job than Randy Quaid. Uh, I don't have a problem with Randy Quaid. In, I don't have a problem with Randy Quaid in Independence Day. Disagree. But like, Woody Harrelson, this is him. I agree, and but I think Randy Quaid's character is better. Better arc. Well, he saves the freaking day, up. Colin Hilding. Hello, boys. You know, I'm back. Woody Harrelson, Woody Harrelson getting blown over on the top of a mountain, a little bit more epic than Up Yours, okay? <laughs> I like Up Yours better. Hello, Randy Quaid. Better like than Dennis up mine Quaid. Better? What? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we'll rephrase that next time. <laughs> That went a bit awkward. Uh, Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Dennis Quaid. uh, Yeah, when they don't have mosquito or the mosquito spray or whatever. Again, John Cusack, bad father. Not only did he sleep in from picking them up, he wasn't even prepared for the trip. It's like he literally picked the kids up in the morning and it's like, oh, what should I do with them? Uh, What's going to buy me the most time without actually having to try and spend time with them? Driving. What's the furthest I can get and get back? Yellowstone. He's not even prepared. It's just, oh, what's and where's, wrong and with the, you, and the, and the thing, too, actually, the more that you pointed out about how unlikable he is, at least if you think about all these deadbeat dad tropes in movies, there's always something that ends up they kind of have that bit of regret before redeeming themselves. Day after tomorrow, yeah. Dennis Quaid. Oh, I'm a terrible father. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, but he saves his son. Even Independence Day, it's funny you mentioned Randy Quaid. Let's be honest, he's deadbeat dad in that arc, isn't he? His kids are terrible, they hate him. And then at the end of the day, though, he saves the world and doesn't one of the kids say, like, that's my dad, the greatest person I've ever met or something? So, like, they redeem themselves in such a way after they realise they're shit. In no way in this movie does John Cusack essentially redeem himself for anything other than, oh, Gordon got crushed by gears, that's my dad. And then he immediately moves in on another man's wife. I don't care if it's your ex. It's still it's another Amanda man's wife. She Pete doesn't even. Well, this isn't like it's someone decent. <laughs> if it was Tandy Newton, yes. I understand. If it was Woody Harrelson, I'd understand. <laughs> yeah. Oliver Platt, I understand. Gordon, understand. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, what you told us ginger for? I understand. 
the Russian Amy pilot. Russell, we understand. <laughs> Amy Russell. <laughs> Petey Wong! Russo! Petey Wong! <laughs> we get it! It's Amanda freaking Pete! Come on! <laughs> Put it down, John! Alright? <laughs> you had Mini Driver, didn't you, at one point? Like... You had <laughs> Mini Driver! <laughs> That's like let's, going... let's run through his filmography. I mean, this is an all-time low for him. He had Rachel Weisz in, in Run- Runaway Jury, uh, Kate Beckinsale in Serendipity, <laughs> uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, um... <laughs> Being, uh, being John Cameron Diaz, being John Malkovich. Look at this guy. Kate Blanchett in uh, um, The Pushing Tin. I mean, th- what's happened, John Cusack? It's like it's like living in New York and moving to Winnipeg. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of it. John Cusack, you call yourself an actor. I think Joan Cusack's better. And you know what? Yeah, I'd be okay with him taking Joan Cusack, his sister, over another man's <laughs> wife that's Amanda Peet. Oh, look, look I, I'm down for, like, women-on-women women love, but if I saw Joan Cusack kissing Amanda Peet, I wouldn't be into it. Like, come on, it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, she's just so boring. Who are you, Amanda Peet? Stop being you. Just stop it. I've killed people on these podcasts before, right? I killed Roger Moore. If Amanda Peet dies between now and when we release this episode, not even going to care. It won't even make the news. It literally won't make the news. Next year at the Oscars in memoriam, it will come up with Amanda Peet dead. And people will be like, oh, she died. Okay. I love that we started this episode with, yeah, the wife, she's okay. She's there. And now it's like, you could die for all I care. Screw you, Amanda Peet. You're no BD Wong. <laughs> exactly. On the likability scale in the world, you're right down there with the French and Taylor Swift. <laughs> and I'm only basing this uh, on seeing you in one movie. <laughs> Man to pee. Well, you haven't seen all of her sounds like porno films? <laughs> like uh, Izzy goes, goes under or whatever? I'm literally watching 2012 on mute right now. She's on the screen, and I literally am getting more entertainment from seeing the wall behind my laptop. Like, there's more personality and excitement in a beige-coloured wall than there is in Amanda Peet's face. You know that person I said I saw three seconds in Walmart? Better than Amanda Peet. They could be a a murderer, a child molester. I don't know that person from a bar of soap. But frickin' Amanda Peet, just, I I would rather eat peas and corn than watch Amanda Peet. What's your problem with peas and corn? They're shit. <laughs> <laughs> They're little and they get stuck in the food and they taste like ass. <laughs> we, we are almost halfway through the movie now and Ben is getting really angry about Amanda Pete peas and corn. <laughs> you know what? You know, I think we famously said in this podcast it'll take us like a million likes for us to ever do Twilight or whatever it was. I'll yeah. tell you now. I will do Twilight over ever doing anything with Amanda Peen in it ever again. <laughs> ever. Sign me up. Hashtag Team Edward, but not Team Amanda Peet. Is that the correct answer? I like wow, Robert Pattinson. This... He's Batman now, so we're going to like him. He's Edward, This right? got so harsh so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, the dead this one. this all came out of... <laughs> I love this all came out of a rant about what a terrible guy John Cusack is and suddenly you can die, Amanda Beat. <laughs> oh. um, 
Where are we here? Uh, yeah, what, his little video uh, that he shows them. It's like, dinosaur. You lure them in with humor. <laughs> you lure them in with humor, and then you make them think. <laughs> Woody Harrelson's so good That's here. That's the Network's motto, uh, actually. Yeah. <laughs> People are still waiting for the humor, though. <laughs> yeah, one day. If you want the humor, listen to it. We use it all in 007. That's our comedic genius yeah. podcast. <laughs> 007 plus, even uh, better. <laughs> But um, when John Cusack responds, like John Cusack, he like what I love about him is is his line delivery. Like he has a very unique line delivery just as an actor in general. Uh, so when he's like, OK, I got to be getting back to Earth. I uh, I enjoyed most of this. William Thanks. Shatner and just walks away. <laughs> what? Like William Shatner. I've got to go back to Earth. <laughs> to Earth. Well, no, he had that pause. Like I got to get back to Earth. Uh, earth <laughs> he's like i enjoyed most of this thank you john cusack often it's regarded just, as america's answer to william shatner yeah, yeah. but like it's weird that he's so dismissive of him here and then basically with one thing happening he's like he was right all along like you pay, talk about somebody you shouldn't remember you're in his room for four minutes um the shopping market scene or whatever now, I just went back and looked over this scene because I wanted to see something. Now, the pull-ups, okay? <laughs> oh, God. She sent for what is a weekend camping trip. It must have been a dozen pull-ups. And she's buying right here. must be 50, 75 pull-ups. It must be at least 20. You could Let's say you could fit 20 in those bags. She's got three bags here of pull-ups that she's getting on top of the dozen that she sent on the camping trip. This girl doesn't wet the bed. She has incontinence issues twenty four seven. Problem. Like, <laughs> I don't think your twins wear that many nappies. No, they don't. We would go through about twelve diapers a day between two twins, newborns. <laughs> they're not for her. They're not for her daughter. They're for Amanda Pete. She's so boring that she just expels urine. <laughs> Stop pissing the bit, Amanda Pete. <laughs> it's so many diapers. Like, what is wrong with this girl if she's pissing herself 24-7? Stop feeding her water. <laughs> yeah. Eight cups a day, not what? 80 cups a day, you stupid woman. Amanda hey, you Pete. Know what? Casper has been... For the most part, potty trained for P at least. For over, I mean, he just turned four. Um, he's now to the point where we put him in pull-ups when he goes to bed, just a precaution. Last night was like the first time in three weeks that he didn't hold it until morning. And I'm talking 12 hours. He will sit there in his room quietly playing, and then we open it, say potty, and ready to go to the potty. What is wrong with this little girl? Like, again, I like this girl, but like, she's got real issues here. <laughs> Oh, God. You know what I just realized, actually? Like, you know how Noah can't get a date, right? <laughs> Noah could get a date with Amanda Pete, but even Noah <laughs> would turn down Amanda Pete. That's how bad she is. Can we just tweet Noah a picture of Amanda Pete and say, interested? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Single and ready to mingle. I, I hope to God that we have a best of compilation on Noah moments at the end of this year. <laughs> oh, you're making me do all the work. Like, I think I've done one, not a <laughs> compilation. You know, I should have worked this out earlier. I should have, like, I wanted to do that with the sand one last year. Could have had a funny compilation, but I did it like twice. 
Oh. Had a third episode. And once <laughs> you bloody put your kids in a uh, cupboard or something and listen to all our episodes, you can do it. Uh, okay, so yeah, the shopping market splits in two. <laughs> kind of the beginning of the cartoony stuff here. She tells him the next morning to bring the kids back. Um, now here's where he becomes even more unlikable. He does that without putting up a fuss. He's got what one one weekend with these kids, and she's like, "Bring them home." I had a bad night. Okay, like you are a terrible father. And then when he brings them back, she's like, "Oh, thanks so much for bringing them back early." And then he gets a call. Oh, it's okay. I got work anyways. <laughs> like, what would you, would would he have driven back if his boss called him? Like, this guy's on call, and he's it's just uh everything he does makes him a terrible father. And the movie does not get into that at all. Um. Do I have anything else I want to cover here? Yeah, the Russian guy. Um, I'll, I'll I'll save some of this for the next section so we don't go too far. But I, I love the Russians. I, I will say the actress that plays the girlfriend, um, uh, Beatrice Rosen. So she was in one episode of Smallville, which might be in my top five favorite Smallville episodes of all time, which was the prom episode in season four, where she played like this really obnoxious girl, this this mean, basically a mean girl who dies and then her spirit possesses almost every character in the show one by one by one. It's a great episode. And she was so good in that show when when uh, uh, this movie came out. I'm like, oh, it's the one from Smallville. But she actually did a couple other things, too. Uh, she had a role in The Dark Knight playing Bruce Wayne's girlfriend. Again, playing a Russian ballerina. I don't know why she's always like Russian. And then uh, there's a TV series uh, from the 90s that Sean Bean did called Sharp, which is like a Napoleonic War James Bond, basically. Uh, and she was in the final sharp movie that they made, I guess, right before 2012. So she had like a good run there for a few years. And I wish she'd do more things now because she's so good and she's so funny and really good at doing the Russian accent, considering she's not Russian. Uh, she was yeah, in I the love these Saint with Roger Moore, the TV movie that was Roger Moore's last ever uh, acting role before he well, died. She, I watched that. I didn't even notice her in that. And I watched it. Uh, unfortunate. Uh, I'll go back and watch it again. She was in the Smurfs um, too. She was stork model. Here's here's another thing though. Uh, the kids, I like the Russian kids, but their accents slip a lot yes. in this movie. <laughs> like constantly, like in their first sentence, they're slipping. Um, and I don't know if you're supposed to dislike these kids because really, the characters who die, the 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 boxer and the girlfriend, I feel like you they want us to both like them and dislike them, but the kids are the only ones who do anything wrong, and they're the ones who live. And again, I don't say I want the kids to die. I like these kids. They're funny. They have personality. They're, they 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 should have played a man of pizza roll. But they're they're yes, <laughs> standing on each other's shoulders. Hello, yeah. I'm a man to beat. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the, their accents are just not great here. But it's just it's weird that they are the only ones who are made to be unlikable, and then you're supposed to dislike the other characters that die. Um, I don't know anything else here to add. Uh, yeah, the, the the chase scene is fantastic. Other than the logic of, you know, any physics in there, yeah, <laughs> um, it is really funny. Like I think one of the only things that really detracts from this, I did say at the beginning, you know, this is the equivalent of that uh, the spaceship in the atmosphere and Independence Day resurgence. So one good sequence in Independence Day too, uh, but. It hurts it a little bit, again, the no reactions from people because, like you were saying, I feel like if we had some Bill Packs and stuff here, them panicking, it would be more intense, but it would also make you enjoy the characters a little more because this basically sets John Cusack up as a Superman because the driving he's doing is like 
completely illogical, completely cartoony, and it's expert driving. And I, I don't really feel like we can get behind any of the other moments in this movie where their lives are in peril when we see something that is so over the top that he basically survives without even breaking a sweat. Like, they needed him to be stressing to make the other sequences later in the movie matter. Um, only other thing I want to mention here is when everything's sort of opening up in Los Angeles or whatever, and there's giant cracks in the earth and cars are literally falling into oblivion. Did you notice that the people are honking their horns? I didn't like, notice what that. good is that going to do? <laughs> You're falling into an abyss of nothingness and like, eh, get out of the way. It's, that would make I sense in New York, sound but not in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But still, I mean, that sequence, that's what this movie's all about. I mean, there, there's so many little things here, like when they get splashed by the sewage and everything, you know, great. There's no way that car survives, especially, you know, a limo driven by John Cusack, a terrible father. But uh, maybe he puts more work into that than he does parenting children. Yeah, I'm just I'm flicking through it now. And it's funny, actually, just watching the facial expressions, because I, I I don't watch them as much as I used to. But I used to love watching like the making ofs and they would kind of have, you know, special effects movies where they would have like reactions and they're just in front of a green screen. And kind of it's funny when you see kind of things like that. I'd love to see the shoot of this when like Gordon and Thingo are in the car. and They're just basically like you got to, you know, rolling in the, in the background going like, look to your left, a building is falling down. A train, <laughs> a train is falling down near you too. Now look to the up, look up. That's it. Be scared. Be scared. Plane, fall down. All right, react, <laughs> react, react. <laughs> like, I just want to see that section of it all. Um, gosh, man to Pete. Um... <laughs> Oh, you know in 007 how it's mini driver? That's going to be the new thing on this yeah. time. It's going to be oh, fucking Amanda <laughs> oh, Pete. Amanda Pete. Uh, <laughs> within 12 months on this podcast, we've discovered our love for Rene Russo and our apparent hatred for yeah, Amanda you, Pete. I didn't even mention, we're watching this movie and Jamie's like, who is this woman? I've seen her before. I'm like, I don't know. Like, she was in something. And then she's like, no, I recognize her for something. So I start mentioning off movies on her filmography. And Jamie's like, oh, maybe that's what I remember from. And then I mentioned The Whole Nine Yards, which, again, I said I hate that movie. And she's like, oh, she was great in that movie. I'm like, nothing was great in The Whole Nine Yards. But I guarantee, of all things, she was not the great thing in it. Let's be honest. Jamie's watched all the sex movies because, they're, you know, it's yeah. Jamie. <laughs> she's horny all the time. Um, We really need <laughs> Izzy to goes do- down. We, you know how, like, we've talked Let's about- Let's do Izzy Goes Down. Oh, what a, I've been waiting for you to say those words to me, Colin, for a long time. <laughs> you know how we're like, we've talked in the past where we should do maybe like a, a viewer's choice or like a, a host choice month where we just randomly choose like yeah. two movies each. We should do the opposite, like do one with two movies we hate. Like just oh yeah, like we have to choose a movie we hate and don't be like oh lol I hate Jurassic Park. We should do that. Like yeah. we legitimately have to choose movies that we downright hate just to see it. And you can do the whole nine yards. I've never seen it before. Well. And you're watching Amanda Peace. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just said I would never watch a movie. Okay, but we're not doing the whole nine yards. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew Perry. I do like you and Bruce Willis. But uh, anyway, um, so we're back on the boat. And, oh, look at these two old jazz guys singing a song about it ain't the end of the world. I mean. They are such bad singers. I just wanted to point out, like. It's funny in Independence Day at the beginning of that movie when you've got R.E.M. playing It's the End of the World as we know it. Like, it just works. You kind of go, oh, <laughs> the world's about to end. That's funny. This time around, I just groan. I don't know why. <laughs> like, is it because they're bad singers and they're not R.E.M.? I don't know. <laughs> but Because yeah. um, Amanda Pete's in this movie. But, oh, yeah. plot twist. Random <sighs> guy we met on a boat is Chia with Jatoli, with Fool's father. Oh. 
Wow, what do you now know? Year four. What are the odds? <laughs> oh, and so, yes, John Cusack decides that, hey, let's fly to Yellowstone because that crazy guy I met is right. Like I think you said that before that, oh, he just happens yeah. to be right. Here's a true story. When I was in a shop the other day, there was one of these old guys who was like, oh, coronavirus, it's going to destroy us all. And, like, he's basically like, people think it's not going to happen, but the Spanish flu, it started, and then two years later it came back and it killed triple the people. Like, if in three years' time we're all dead because of coronavirus, I'm not going to be on my deathbed going, that guy in that store was yeah. right. I better go fly to him and find the map. Like, I mean, <laughs> whatever. But this is where we find out that John Cusack is as fast as Britney Spears at running because he can. <laughs> they've got, what, like 15 minutes or something like that, and he runs from a runway up to the top of a mountain to go. In the middle of the park. In the middle of the park <laughs> to find crazy Woody Harrelson. And again, Yellowstone National Park, the hub of all technology reception, they're on cell phones chatting. Clear as day reception. When I was in Walmart earlier on today, I couldn't get reception when Mallory tried to call me from one into the other. I'm in a city. Freaking Walmart. <laughs> Proud sponsors of the Oz Network, apparently. Um, and so he runs to Woody Harrelson and literally the super volcano. This is a real thing, by the way. This apparently is a super volcano that can go any minute, I think. Woody Harrelson told me one time. And <laughs> it blows up. Like, you just watched Dante's Peak recently, right? That is a movie where at the beginning of that movie, Pierce Brosnan's wife or girlfriend gets, like, decapitated essentially from a rogue volcanic rock in that South American country they're in, right? This is yeah. a super volcano. Yeah. <laughs> it has the word super in front of it. Right? We see a visual of a shockwave that apparently does no damage. It literally moves the earth. Like you see yeah. the entire mountain move. A, a top of a mountain blows off, but but nothing else anywhere. They have time to run back to an RV, to drive to a <laughs> runway, while the super volcano's rocks are the slowest rocks ever that they're able yeah. to fly away from. The earth has opened up to the extent that you can see liquid hot magma that John Cusack is, like, staring down at the bottom. Meanwhile, Woody Harrelson has perfect radio reception for his nationally syndicated radio show that John Cusack picked up in Los Angeles, by the way. We didn't mention that before. Uh (laughs) Uh, It's an FM. It's not even a radio station. He's on an FM transmitter, okay? (laughs) I plug an FM transmitter in. I'm not going to get more than 10 feet from my car and I'm losing reception. I also want to point out, birds in 2012 dumb all right in day after tomorrow they flew away from the tidal wave in new york like a day beforehand these birds fly away like five seconds before the super volcano blows up dumb birds the birds the birds in bird box are even better exactly and the birds in outbreak were there birds in out probably there was a monkey whatever (laughs) um this has been bird month apparently So deadbeat parent month. John Cusack in an RV, which somehow can accelerate faster than a Ferrari going down a gravel road, drives back to the runway, gets to the plane. Oh, no, we've got to get the map because apparently it's literally a map of Tibet. And that's all they <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this movie is so batshit crazy, but it's brilliant. Um, yeah. 
And Academy Award winner Gordon can fly with his one lesson. Uh, he <laughs> literally says in the movie earlier on, you've got to get to like 85 miles an hour before we can take off. Somehow, John Cusack can run 85 kilometres an hour to catch (laughs) up to this plane to get on, and they fly off. And again, living up to this movie, they literally have no reaction when you've got a giant plume of volcanic ash. Again, was it like around this period where a volcano erupted in Iceland and disrupted global travel for like six months? I think that was in 2010, right? They've got volcanic ash literally covering them, and they are fine, and they're in like a tiny little plane. This does no damage to the engines as it gets sucked in? It's volcanic ash, people, (laughs) from a super volcano. (laughs) And And this is like a five-passenger plane. And their reaction is, oh, good, and little shit kid gives his thumbs up, and that's their reaction. (laughs) (laughs) I was more terrified driving with you in Winnipeg. (laughs) <laughs> and, like, that's saying something. Um, anyway, so then they end up flying away. Cheer with Jatol, Oliver Platt conversation. He's angry because he's not telling the world still. Is this where Oliver Platt rings up his mum because we've got to slightly humanise yeah. and he has an ex-wife? Cool. Um, I think this is the first time I've ever seen Oliver Platt in something and he's straight. So, cool. Um, what? He's like, I swear I've seen him so many things and he's gay and I'm not trying to say bad anything. Like Nip Tuck, he's gay and other movies and stuff, he's gay and good for him. But anyway, <laughs> I just I just picture, you know how you picture some actors as always, like John Cusack, we always picture him as being this type of person. I just always picture Oliver Platt playing a gay character. I don't know why, but I just do. Um, anyway, for some reason we're in Vegas. For some reason John Cusack and that have to fly to Vegas the Russians' plane has been destroyed. This is actually really bad special effects, like in the green screen, like when the plane yeah. is like crashed and he's like shaking his head. That looks really bad. That does not hold up well. Um, we find out that Danny Glover is going to be the captain, what's his face from Titanic, and stay behind as the whole country crashes. And Oliver Platt's got his moment. He's like on that plane yeah. going, oh, well, got to go then. <laughs> like he doesn't even debate this. Um, there's a well. He debates Chia with Judd told Gia four about something. Danny Glover's sad. Speaks to Tanny Newton. Danny Glover finally tells America that they're all going to die. And like I've seen Armageddon. Everyone's all upset and don't write and all this sort of stuff. Literally, everyone in 2012 was like, "Oh, we're going to die." Oh well, we've That's had people mass buying toilet paper for coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> There's been punch ups in supermarkets for coronavirus. The world is ending in two days, and everyone's like, "Oh." Oh, well, that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had plans this weekend. Oh, shit. Dying wasn't Not one of them. Not going to be able to go to Yellowstone anymore. I know, right? God damn it. Uh, the Olympics have been suspended. <laughs> I love it they're not being cancelled. <laughs> Only suspended. <laughs> Even the end of the world isn't going to stop the IOC. Uh, there you go. Um, Jacques Rogge, much better president than Thomas Buck. <laughs> yeah, this was the Buck era. We, we also find out that Gordon just happens to know blonde Russian girlfriend because he gave her the boobs. Of course they all know each other. Um, they all steal a massive plane. Why are the people in the Las Vegas airport, when they know the city is about to be covered by the ash from a supervolcano, still in the aircraft tower going, you can't take off? Go yeah. home and spend time with your family, aircraft tower people. And is there no basements anywhere? Why is everybody outside when this happens? I'm going for the basement if anything blows up in this world. 
Vegas gets destroyed. There's some monks on top of a mountain who are saying something that I don't know because I don't have subtitles. (laughs) We meet an old lady about to kill a chicken. She doesn't. Um, They're on a plane with rich cars. This is honestly the most boring part of the movie to me because it's like just lots of drawn-out conversations about, oh, no, I'm a terrible person. Oh, why did I get with Gordon? Oh, we didn't meet because I've got big boobs. And this is the thing too, like you're not meant to like this Russian guy, but I feel they humanise the Russian guy at some point where you kind of like, and when I say humanise, it's 2012 humanise, it's not really that much. Mm. But like I feel like you kind of like the Russian guy at one point in this movie. Is that just me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I think that all the characters that they're trying to make you dislike are the ones that you like. Yeah, and the ones you meant to like, you and don't it, like. He gets that moment here where, and again, maybe it's the performance where he's talking about his Russian background, and you're like, this is a good guy. I like this guy. And he's a father. He's protecting his kids. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so they are going to Hawaii to refuel. They, okay, we should have backed up. They've got to go to China because this is apparently where the spaceships are. They still believe they're actually spaceships. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So they've gotten the little plane, got the big plane, going to Hawaii, but Hawaii is completely covered in volcanic lava and stuff because, sure, uh, again, planes can fly in volcanic ash with no issues whatsoever. Okay. Cheer with Joel, year four, and Tandy Newton flirt because her dad's dead. Um, the guy on the boat, the white dude, basically calls up his uh, child in Japan or something because apparently there's a plot line about them not surviving. The little girl goes in to tell dad. Japan gets destroyed because we need to have some sort of sad moment between that. Washington. I'm just really going through this so quickly because, like, (laughs) we can cover this in three acts. It's the boring part. We can cover it in three acts. Yeah. Um, Washington's snowing with volcanic ash. Everyone's homeless in the White House. Donald Trump must watch this movie and, like, have a heart attack. Um, Danny Glover, did this not tell me this did not remind you of a volcano when everyone's covered in ash? Where's somebody going? Look at yeah. their faces. They're all the same. They're all the same. <laughs> um, we cut to Italy because the Italian Prime Minister has also stayed behind the that painting on the Sistine Chapel splits between God and that touching symbolism. Ooh, there's a tidal wave that destroys our beloved jazz singers. Um, fun fact: uh, there is actually these two survive. There's a, an alternate ending for this movie what? where at uh, the end of this film they call up uh, Chiwa Chol at Gia 4 and we find out they survived and they're going to meet Ugh. up in Africa. So there that you go. That bothers me even more. Yeah. So Because, again, they, they it's the choice of who to kill in this movie and who not to kill. Mm-hmm. And, and it, do you know why it really bothers me is because Jamie didn't finish watching this with me. She got, like she usually does, she got maybe three quarters of the way through. And then I'm like, okay, I got to finish this. And she's like, ah, I got to go do something, whatever. Um, and she asked me, so what happened to the guy's dad on the boat? I'm like, didn't you see it get capsized by the biggest wave in existence? They're dead. And she's like, well, I don't know. Maybe they survived. Now I look like an idiot. I got to go tell Jamie I'm wrong. Yep, exactly. Um, oh, no, I don't have to tell her anything. She doesn't listen yeah, to this no show. No one does. It's all good. <laughs> Amanda Pete did, but she just tuned out before. Yeah. <laughs> um, this tidal wave is like destroying the world now. So we've gone from volcanoes. Again, super volcano was meant to destroy half the world if you actually read into the science of that. I think that's doing an all right job. We don't all of a sudden need a tsunami, which apparently has reached Washington, D.C. and has enough symbolism and timing that the USS John F. Kennedy kills the president as well as the White House. Okay. Uh, <laughs> And it just happens to flip at the exact moment it kills the White House. Oh, smart aircraft carrier. 
Um, there's more conversations on the plane. Amanda Pete's whinging about something. Um, they discover the entire earth has shifted or something because of Mayan stuff. Uh, <laughs> little boy loves John Cusack. They go. To, they think they're going to have to have a water landing, but we find out that they're going to land in China. They get out of a Bentley. There is actually a kind of, I do like the moment when they're like, you know, why won't the car start? Why won't the car start? Everyone be quiet. Bentley start. I do like that moment. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, they somehow survive driving out of a Bentley. The Russian boxer dude has to go down with the plane. Sad. Um, helicopters with giraffes and shit are flying over because apparently giraffes can survive Himalayan winters by flying underneath hand. And we find out this is, oh, no, the Russian guy's a dick because they have a ticket to get on this helicopter to get on the boat, but it's only the Russian guy and his kids and he leaves his girlfriend behind because he was doing the Russian guy, uh, the, the other Russian guy. Um, what else is there? Oh, Chiwa Joel, Gia 4, Flirts at 10 and Newton, they go to the Arcs and then John Cusack and their family have to sneak onto the Ark, which they eventually do. Cool. All right, let's let's cap it there. <laughs> All right, somewhere, oh, wait, somewhere in the... And the Indian dude didn't get picked up by a helicopter, sad. Yeah, which uh, there's so many moments... Let me talk about that for a second. There's so many moments in this movie where I feel like they're trying to send some message about, you know, oh, valuing human life, right? The whole, I guess, point of this story from what the, the message you're trying to send us is why should you know the rich people survive and the people who work for it not survive which by the way i have a huge issue with that because they 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 have that moment where everybody's boarding or, or chiwetelogia for is boarding and he's like you know how were the people chosen for this like oh they were chosen by you know their gene pool for the future of the human race and they're seeing all these rich people it's like they were chosen for the gene pool and oliver platt who by the way gives the best performance in this movie because again you're supposed to hate his character but every time he speaks he makes sense He's like, yeah, you think we'd be able to fund this without billions of dollars from the private sector? We found out that Yuri paid a billion euros per seat for him and his kids. That's three seats. Yeah. Now, tell me why we're supposed to look down on that. This movie's not saying, oh, well, these these workers should get it. They're actually, the moment with Chiwetel Ejiofor is actually trying to say to the audience, these people shouldn't live just because they're rich. Yes, they should. They donated... The, the, forget about paid for a seat. They donated billions of dollars. And look at for the this. size of those ships. There's eight of them. Somehow they got Chinese workers to build them in two. Those are bigger than Winnipeg. Yeah. They're like giant. Again, There's eight of them, and you don't think they cost like if one of those ships costs like five hundred billion dollars. That's eight times five hundred. That's a lot. So yeah. <laughs> that's trillions. Like, I don't understand. You know, if the logic is if a person built this, they deserve to have their lives saved. Well, then doesn't the person who donated billions of dollars deserve? They didn't buy a seat. They paid for the survival of the human race. Yeah. They contributed just as much. I'm not taking away from the people who built this. It's just idiotic that this movie is trying to make you look down on the rich people because guess who dies? The guy who paid billions of dollars for the rest of the human race to survive. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to enjoy him dying. It's just absurd. And when the the, the uh, Steve Carell here dies, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, it's supposed to be like they never came for us, and we're supposed to be looking to oh how they do this. Well, guess whose fault that is? Chiwetel Ejiofor, the guy who started off this movie by saying it happened too soon. I thought we were going to have more time than this. It's your fault. <laughs> 
they didn't have time to prepare. We saw what happened when suddenly coronavirus sweeps through a province, a state, a country in no time at all. You have to make quick decisions. And you probably remember you were in New Zealand when it started, but you know, here in Canada, the first company that took heat was Tim Hortons because they weren't immediately paying for two weeks paid leave for people who were suspected to have coronavirus. Yeah. Oh, well, you, you, you mean you're not going to immediately pay for them? Do you know how many employees would, would suddenly have to be paid for that? They'd be left with no workers. They would have to close down in no time. And it took only a matter of weeks before all those people who jumped on the big businesses and say, I can't believe they're doing this were suddenly like, we're having to bail these businesses out now. It takes no time at all for the economy to collapse. And this movie is, is is presenting these characters like, how could they not have been prepared to pick up Steve Carell? <laughs> you saw how quickly they had to do this. People have to make quick decisions when the end of the world happens or even a pandemic happens. You make quick decisions. Sometimes you make the wrong decisions. Sometimes it's not a wrong decision, but there are sacrifices that have to be made. And it's just – I hate the way that, that Roland Emmerich goes out of his way to to almost talk down to the audience through these characters – to make us, you know, uh, look down on certain people and then praise other people. It's like there's nobody who's done wrong in this movie. There is no bad guy in this movie. And I would say, including uh, Yuri. Yeah, and I would honestly say Oliver Platt is almost like the rightest of everyone in this entire movie. Yeah, like he really because he's the really only is. one speaking common sense. Yeah, and like, and this is yeah, you're absolutely right with everything you said. And it's it's frustrating because like you can see what Roland Emmerich's trying to do. You've got to have this yeah. kind of you know conflict in a movie. But again. Any movie he's done in the past does it. I mean, Independence Day does it so well with what's his face, the Secretary of Defense guy who essentially, yeah. oh, and he's that famous actor too. I can't remember his name. He's dead now. James somebody. Um, but he, like, you know, and you can kind of see why he's a bit of a dick in that movie. He's not like being portrayed as an absolute dick without, you know, thinking about it a little bit more. He's actually right. Like, it's kind of, you've got to have that level of dickery. I mean, we talked about it. I keep bringing up Titanic. I'm sorry. I know that hurts your feelings, but like, Billy Zane, we kind of went through it, wasn't really a dick. Like, if you actually. He did a couple of bad things, but he was not. He was the one hurt first, you know? Yeah, but I think the thing with the difference with Billy Zane, though, is I can see why people hate him, though, because Billy Zane's great in that role. That movie is targeted a lot towards teenage girls. And they're yeah. gonna see why Billy Billy Zane's a bit of a dick. Like it's it's fine. You're doing it towards your target audience. If you analyze it a bit more, it's not true, but you can understand it. Here, I think that anyone logically can realize. Well, hang on a minute. Oliver Platt's kind of right. Why are we meant to hate him? Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a moment coming up later on where I'm gonna draw a parallel to what's going on in the real world, and we're gonna realize again he's the one in the right here. And not saying anything wrong with the other characters who are questioning certain things, but. Oliver Platt's decisions do make sense in this movie, mm-hmm. including the fact that he is the only character we see who actually makes a sacrifice. Because I'm going to say Danny Glover does not make a sacrifice. I'll get to that in a second. Oliver Platt, when he's talking to his mother and is like, didn't you get to see her? Of course I did. But you think I'm going to drag her through this? I'm going to let her die on her own terms. He's making a sacrifice. And then we're supposed to be judging him for the rest of the movie. It's just wrong. Meanwhile, Danny Glover, again, an actor I love, I worship the Lethal Weapon movies, like absolutely worship those movies. And I don't like Danny Glover in this movie for this reason. Oh, I'm so noble. I'm going to sacrifice myself and go down with the ship. He then goes outside and starts helping all these lost people. Well, guess what, Danny Glover? You had a seat. That little kid who's lost? Why didn't you say, I'm not going. Take this lost child. So true. (laughs) It's just so bad because so many characters don't make the trip 
And there's nobody who has a manifest who's like, ah, you know, we got 45 extra seats here, including the president who wants to take it. But the president goes on national television and says, I'm choosing not to go. He doesn't say, I will. He even says, my wife's idea was a lottery. I like the idea of a lottery. How about I got a lottery? One person in this country is going to be saved, but that's my noble effort. There's nothing noble about saying I'm going to stay here and die. You're not about it's to get reelected, stupid. Denny. There's no election. Yeah, you say no election. yourself, you're the last president. Do you know how that feels, you know son? <laughs> and this was an election year, too. Let's remind people. 2012, <laughs> it's an election year. <laughs> do you know how that feels, son? I want to cheer you with Joel and Jeff. Well, I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I do. <laughs> I'm actually president of my <laughs> local chess club, and I will be the last ever president of my local. It feels pretty bad. I went through the same thing in 2009 for the local assembly of geologists, okay? I was the last president of the local assembly of geologists. We knew there was nothing else after that. Um, let's get back to uh, John Cusack here for a second. Again, just an idiot in this movie. Uh, Woody Harrelson first, uh, he has, what, two scenes in this movie? A couple little minor things, but two scenes. And again, I always remember this as the Woody Harrelson movie, but such a small role, but he's so good in this. When his butt crack is showing, <laughs> he's getting blown over with his giant transmitter, his his body-sized FM transmitter, or a, sorry, AM transmitter. Yeah, that's why it's such a good signal. It's just AM radio. Um, but when John Cusack interrupts his broadcast, again, after ascending the mountains of Yellowstone National Park, <laughs> and he's like, where's the map? And he's like, uh, it's, uh, it's on the map shelf. Okay, where's the map shelf? Uh... Somewhere between Roswell and Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> like, it's just such great delivery. John Cusack then, the idiot who draw, dragged his daughter up Yellowstone National Park's mountain or whatever, goes back down, decides to go in the camper alone. The map shelf is a tiny shelf. There are about six maps on there. And he's like, which one is it? And he starts taking his time <laughs> rifling through, looking at Grab all six maps. There's only six there. Yes. The, the children are about to die. What's wrong with you? And then as the plane's getting ready to take it off, and Gordon, who, by the way, I, I don't even know if this is real or not, but to me, I, I assume planes run on some type of special fuel and they don't fuel up with unleaded at a gas station. But I guess Roger Moore did an octopusy, so <laughs> that's a thing. Roger Moore did it, it's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but when they're like, we got to go, we got to go again. Gordon trying to save lives. Who does he listen to? This kid who's like, no, that's my dad. We're going to wait. Now, at this point, John Cusack is about 10 feet behind you. OK, go out, look and see if there's a body. OK, because yeah. <laughs> he fell into a giant canyon that formed. And he's only a few feet back there. And they sit there waiting. We're going to wait. How long are you going to wait? You saw a giant hole open up in the earth and there's no body by some miracle he comes out and then runs 85 kilometers per hour whatever it I, takes I yeah and this yeah well go ahead I was just, sorry I, I i thought you stopped but i was just gonna say i never thought in my life would i say the logic of jurassic park 3 is better <laughs> when <laughs> literally what's his name zadansky is like you know oh no cooper leave him he'll be fine it's for them to take <laughs> off it's cooper like that's your shocked <laughs> moment but they've done the right thing they've left and gone. And let's be honest, if it wasn't for Cooper, they would have fucking taken off from that island and they would have been fine. So, yeah. like, and, you're right. Like, like why just take off, you idiot? And this is why Amanda Pete is such a piece of garbage, okay? So, <laughs> um, the kid makes a decision. No, we're going to wait. She's got to worry about the life of her other child, both children, her husband, and herself. Now, at what point is she going to be like, 
I'm either going to go out there and look to see if there's a body, or I'm going to hit the accelerator for you, Gordon. Stop listening to a child. I'm the mother here. It's all Amanda she Tate's makes fault. no decisions. It's all her fault. Um, but uh, yeah, eventually John Cusack runs the speed of sound, and they lift off. Uh, this tiny plane that fits five, six people can take off faster than a jet on an aircraft carrier with less ground to cover, too. And which is flown by a so guy absurd. who's flown once. Now, who basically puts in implants for a living? They're basically telling us after one driving lesson, we can go and win the Indy 500. Yeah, exactly. There's hope for you, Ben. Yes, um, I've had more than one. <laughs> oh, great! Yeah. I'll be a Formula One world champion one day yet. And like these old guys on the boat, like first of all, get some a backing track. Like we didn't need the real actors to be singing because <laughs> they are so bad that it actually makes me wonder how they're making a living. Or I just feel sorry for everybody on this cruise ship. That's a cruise ship. Um, you should feel sorry for them anyway. <laughs> I mean, they're yeah. on a cruise ship. People <laughs> like Amanda Pete go on them. Six months. Yeah. Um, it's it's not like the big wave isn't a good visual, but the day after tomorrow already struggled with these B stories. And this I, I said in the day after tomorrow episode, this is a disaster movie trope. You have to have a lot of small stories on the side with minor characters. This is the only minor story. Day after tomorrow had a couple. And the reason Day After Tomorrow worked is we actually praised the movie. It wouldn't introduce some of these characters until their scene came, like the, the tornado stuff. We get the guy banging the girl in the office and the janitor introduced in the same sequence that they're killed off in. It's a long sequence, but it's at the same time. I didn't need six scenes with these guys and this this guy falling off the wagon, this alcoholic father falling off the wagon because I don't care about them. This is the dying kid in, in Day After Tomorrow. I just don't care if you live or die. Yeah. And it's not to be cruel. It's like, I don't care about your characters. You're boring. You don't have, a, you barely have a connection to the other characters. And I almost feel like we spend so much time with this family, which let's be honest, some cool visuals, but we basically get the same plane taking off scene three times in this movie. And it's with diminished results each time. You know, the first one was great. The second one here, leaving Yellowstone, is is still decent. And then the Las Vegas stuff, not good at all. I agree. Uh, did you also uh, uh, notice the the plane that they fly? It's Russian. Yeah. Uh, it's the same plane from Die Another Day, the Antonov. Oh, I didn't. But hey, how did I not pick that up? I mean, I will say there was a Die Another Day. Like it, the car bit sort of reminded me of it when they're all falling out the back. Um, but I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to torture you for one episode. But uh, now that you brought it up, hey. Yeah. Well, I, I brought it up because I know you can't play the song on this episode. Damn it. I'll <laughs> sing it. I gonna wake up. There we go. Oh, <laughs> um, Still better singing like than the jazz when, singers. Sorry. When they, um, yeah, very true. When they're uh, saying, yes, but I need a co-pilot. Like, again, this guy, I looked him oh. up. He's from Estonia. Very close to Russia. Yeah. This accent is so over-the-top Russian. Brilliant. It's really funny. <laughs> um, meanwhile, the other guy does a really good Russian accent, the, the Yuri guy. He's from Croatia. So, again, we're right in the vicinity here. The best Russian accent in this movie, though, is the girl, Beatrice Rosen. And she's American. Uh, she's from New York. So... More praise to her. She was in Charm too, by the way. She did three episodes. Let's cover those episodes. Let's do Beatrice Rosen month, please. <laughs> um, uh, there's probably about another <laughs> 812 people I'd rather do before her, but sure, okay. Let's jump. It's like the U.S. presidential line of succession. Just, she won an Oscar. Around there you go. The list. Uh, I said a logical love for a certain actor in this movie. Um, the kids, though, like 
they become likable throughout the course of this movie. I don't know if that was an intended story arc that they're the ones that we are fat Russian children who will live and you are skinny American <laughs> failed author who will die. They go from that to at the end of the movie being like these, I guess, the redeemed characters. It's, just, it's not very effective. But again, I love these twins, the actors in them. Uh, but when they say they need a co-pilot and then it's like Gordon's a pilot. And then John Cusick, yes, great pilot. <laughs> he's even like he's coming up, he's he's giving him his resume. Meanwhile, it's like if you float up, like, no, no, stop telling people I'm a pilot. Like I like that moment there with Gordon. Uh, the stuff where they're you know flying, um, all the the talking scenes. That's where we get the great stuff with with Yuri, the Russian, with his boxing stuff. Like this guy has so much personality and just the way he delivers the stories. And again, you like him. He's done this for his children to save his children like it's not his fault that he's rich and we're supposed to hate oh i'm gonna wait till i get on the rant to that at the end i'm getting some of it out now so i don't have to get it all out later um but yeah then we get the the, the scene where you know she's talking about getting her implants and again we're supposed to feel sorry for her like you still make like okay so he requested implants like you know maybe a little bit douchey of them but like you accepted them and you're his girlfriend. You're not his wife. You're not like you're not held against your will. There's nothing here that's telling us you're against your will. But then they have that weird moment where her and Amanda Peter are just simply talking and laughing. And you're just like, look, they get along well, huh? <laughs> uh, OK, we have three. <laughs> They're the, the yeah, exactly. I don't know, is that what he's implying? Because you are now, as far as you know, you are the only four, uh, eight, ten, ten people alive in the world. <laughs> look. They become friends. <laughs> They're the only two people. There's nobody else to have a conversation with, okay? They're not having a conversation with your kids. Uh, it's just kind of a weird moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> they we get to where they crashed, I guess, yeah? Sure. Uh, okay. Um, when they all crash and they decide that they want to drive the cars out of here as the plane's crashing, I don't know if that really makes sense. They, they haven't seen that there's an end to this landscape, they should just wait for the plane to slow down because I guarantee driving a car out of a plane as the plane is crashing, probably not as safe as staying in the crashing plane. Yeah. Uh, but they do it anyways. What's even better is this clearly looks like a five-passenger car. And I thought they were in se separate cars, but I swear, like, there's they're all in the same car by the time they actually land and get on the ground. Like, where are they? Are the kids in the trunk? I don't understand this. It's a Bentley. Bentleys don't make family cars. <laughs> and they're all cramming the same car somehow. But yet the moment where he's like, car, start. <laughs> I love this guy. He's the best. Um, why does it have an ignition, it, though? Like, why does he have to put a key in it to turn it if you all have yeah. to go? Like, why do you need a key in it still? I thought keyless entries existed where you press the button. Like, that's just dumb that he's still going to put a bloody key in it. We're getting hung up on the cars here. No, no, right. <laughs> we got a plane that's crashing at about 600 kilometers an hour here <laughs> and then stops on a dime. The mistakes uh, no one talks about. The Oz yeah. Network's what we're known for. <laughs> the car, keyless entry. Um, but uh, so are we supposed to hate him for not paying for his girlfriend's seat when he paid for his kids? We don't know how old she is. We don't know how long his parents have been separated or whatever. But we know that this plan has been the stages for three years. We know Oliver Platt tells us we had to do this with funding from the private sector. He is from the private sector. He paid, we know, 3 billion euros. And he says, oh, I didn't get seat because you and and Sasha the, were having an affair. Fair enough. I get 
Yeah, that that's also a fair excuse because Oliver Platt earlier said, "I'm not going to take my ex-wife." She said she never want to see me again. But if she's having an affair, is that not just cause? Like yeah. we're supposed to. This man didn't pay for a seat for his girlfriend, who hasn't paid for anything in this entire movie. Her implants, her her seat at the boxing fight, the plane, nothing. He's not paying for a seat for her, so he should die. But she should live. Because he's carrying her? Like, oh, it's just stupid. And when, when we get there, la- oh, I'm, I'm going to save my rant for later. <laughs> it's terribly offensive. But she's having an affair. Now, let's look at this movie from the other point of view. If all you do is include one scene, this movie, Roland Emmerich is presenting us these characters in such an, a twisted way where we're supposed to hate him. If we were presented a scene where... He walks in in the middle of this plane ride and he sees Beatrice Rosen riding Sasha in the cockpit. (laughs) And then we see this man crying. Are we going to be feeling, you know, these feelings of anger towards him later on where he doesn't pay for the seat? Like she cheated on you. You gave her everything and she cheated on you. And then, oh, he wanted me to get boobs. So he must be a terrible guy. No, you cheated on him. (laughs) Well, now another man's enjoying those boobs he paid for. Okay, <laughs> I got so many feelings. I, I love these Russians; they're so great. Um, <laughs> so we both like this movie, and we're like, I'm like, oh, but we like this movie. I just, I, I really dislike when movies will present things from one point of view to manipulate the audience's feelings. Because again, you include the scene where he walks in and sees them having an affair. And you're feeling for him, not her. So why should it be different when he says you had an affair? But let's go to the logic of this. He would have paid for these seats three years ago when they needed the funding for it when they started construction. Yeah. Did he know her three years ago? She's just a girlfriend. This isn't his wife. And she's very young. I doubt that she was even legal (laughs) when he got seats. Quick fix to that, right? Let's have like a scene where like that's his wife and then say the pilot's a female. And then all of a sudden he decides to take the female instead because he's like, I've been having an affair without you. And then you're like, oh, fuck, you're an asshole. Okay, cool. Then then we hate you. That's easy. Easy fixed. Yeah, it's just, oh, there's so many problems. Like I said, so many problems in this movie. But I like it. It's fun still. I think we're both going to buy this movie, let's be honest. We are. (laughs) We're saving time right now. We're buying this, okay? We're so angry in this film. We did this in the day after tomorrow. We literally worked up like we're watching the Emoji movie or something. The the Last Jedi. We literally are going to buy this movie. I think sometimes the more implausible it is, the more you can forgive it. Like, again, we're forgiving this because it's not trying to take itself seriously. That was the difference with Outbreak. We went into Outbreak saying, yeah, this is a fun movie. We ended it angry at the movie saying, no, let's bin it. Because it was trying to take itself so seriously. This is not taking itself seriously, so it gets a free pass. Um, uh, yeah, no, only other thing I, I guess I'll add here is um, the, the moment where they're walking in and I see the drafts. That's when I'm getting angry because <laughs> you hate talking giraffes? about no, it's, <laughs> there's no room on here. They're talking about we don't have room and we don't have resources. Like, I'm sorry. Nice if you could save the whole human race. They knew they didn't have time to save the whole human race. It's a nice idea if you can save one of every species, which is what they're going for here. But if it comes down to it, do you think any of those people dying are going to complain that a giraffe got their seat? Forget that. That giraffe amounts to about 100 seats for what it eats, for the space it takes up, for the reason the people it's going to take to take care of it. 
I don't care if that giraffe lives or dies. And the queen's dog gets a seat on here. If I'm going to be angry at anybody, it's the queen's dog, okay? <laughs> and let's be honest, Jeff Goldblum, right in Jurassic Park, when he's like, the dinosaurs had their shot, you know, and we don't need yeah. to bring them back. Like, well, fuck it, the giraffes have had their shot. Fuck them. Yeah, exactly. Africa like, survives I, you- at the end of this movie. They're fine. Yeah, exactly. The giraffes were okay. Could you not have seen that? They've got a long neck. They can breathe outside of water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but still, I mean, even just the, uh, the basis of it, I'm sure there's people who are going to be like, oh, that's cruel. If you have the time, I'm sure you're going to work towards that. But you have to preserve the humans first. I'm all for people who are like, okay, you know, I want to make sure my dogs are protected and everything. But if it came down to your dogs or your children, you're saving your children. Well... Now, not the boy, but the girl in this, you know? <laughs> Amanda Pete's parents would have a tough time there. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, too, like, and you're absolutely right, in any life or death situation, it's you or an animal, I'm sure that even the most animate animal lover, Peter person, whatever, if you're standing on a cliff and you have to die or a giraffe has to die, you're going to mm-hmm. push the giraffe over. Yeah, exactly. And, again, and again I'm I- I'm all for it. Save the animals if you can, but they clearly couldn't. I, I, I mean, I'm a massive animal lover. I would give to animal charities probably over most human charities, and I still don't do charities because I'm poor. But I host the Oz Network. Of course I'm poor. But the- <laughs> give us money, people. <laughs> Get the hints. Every week we do this. Um, but, like, I, for one, would think that, okay, have you not got time to just get, like, a, a- – syringe of blood and clone them or something? I don't know. Like, yeah. some dinosaurs exist, sort of. I mean, crocodiles are kind of from dinosaurs. Like, certain animals survived that last end-of-the-world situation, kind of. So, you know, fuck them. Humans are more important. When Adrian gets on there, again, I love Chiwetel Ejiofor as an actor, but when he gets on there, like, he just becomes so uh, intolerable. Yeah. When he starts constantly talking down, you could fit 10 people in here. Well, you know where else you could fit at least a baby? How about in that bag full of books that you yeah. don't need because they're all digital? <laughs> You're right. And it's kind of and like you, 10 people could fit in that room. Of course they could. I could fit an extra yeah. 400 people on a 737 flying from Winnipeg to Victoria. <laughs> I don't want to because it would be uncomfortable and dangerous. But If we want to – I was going to say, if we want to draw parallels, because we've been doing this all month, parallels to how this actually relates to the present world, I found the most annoying thing for me about the COVID and everything is everybody feels they have a need to blame somebody. You're either blaming people because they don't wear masks. You're blaming people because they don't wash hands. Like – it's not as simple as just wash your hands and wear a mask, but everybody's finding a need to blame somebody. If we're all in this together, that's like the catchphrase. We're all in this together, at least here in Canada. We're all in this together, but let's find somebody to blame. Give the human race a break, okay? And that's what Chihuahua G4 becomes in this. Oh, the rich people get to come in here? Oh, you can fit 10 people in here. Oh, you should open the doors for everybody. He doesn't think about the plants, and it's still your fault because you didn't. You predicted this would happen months later. Exactly. It's all cheer what you told Egypt's fault. And if anyone needs to blame anyone, blame the bats. It's always the bats' fault. <laughs> no, anyone to think about um, coronas. I like. I really would like to finish this episode before I'm going to just be a weird person and say before you leave today. Let's be honest. We've got about 15 <laughs> oh, minutes. I'm going to fucking do we, this. We got, we got it. We got, 
let's do it. We can make this work. We could get a few extra minutes out of this. Jamie won't mind. And, <laughs> and you know what? I'm even going to stretch this by going off topic for one second. I've Googled Amanda Pete. okay? Let's clarify how boring this woman is, okay? If people have Googled somebody, they know if they're a celebrity, they often have that little box on Google and they kind of have a section of quotes, like, you know, famous things that they've said. Yeah. Okay, the most boring quotes in the world literally come up with, whenever I was with Kevin Polak, I had to leave the room. Cool. The thing I noticed about Jack was when we did a reading of the script just to warm up. Cool. Uh, well, okay. well, my mum is single and we've both been single at the same time over the last 10 years, so I really related to the bond between my character and Diane's. Cool. Videos that come up for Amanda Pete. Amanda Pete has killer mum dance moves. Okay. Amanda Pete explains why she's not on social media. Okay. Top 10 Amanda Pete movies. Okay, and then she obviously, I don't know if this is really her Twitter, but there's at least an, an Amanda Pete Twitter feed, at real Amanda Pete. Hasn't tweeted since 2017, but if this really was a real Amanda Pete, let's see how boring she is. Her <laughs> bio says, Amanda Pete, dot, 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 I'm, without an apostrophe, to, T-O, not T-O-O, busy to not be me. I've, again, no apostrophe, got two kids. Have a wonderful day. Cool. Look, <laughs> I encourage everybody to Google Ben Waterworth right now and you will get more entertainment out of it than that. You may be offended within 10 seconds flat, <laughs> but you'll get more entertainment out of it. Seriously, benwaterworth.com. It exists. It's me. Read about me. It's pretty arrogant, but it's <laughs> me. Okay. Just for the sake of this episode, can you edit benwaterworth.com and just put a tagline underneath that says more interesting than Amanda <laughs> Pete? I just want to see it once. It can be like Joan Allen has a massive dong on Wikipedia. It can be gone later. We need that in this world. <laughs> sure. I'll do it really quickly because people are looking at my profile right now for jobs. But sure. Uh, <laughs> again, pay me for doing the old network, people, and maybe I won't have this problem. But um, I, can't, I just let's just have this take even longer. Mallory, at the time we're recording this, has been out of quarantine in the country <laughs> and out of quarantine for 24 hours, and she has a job already with two more job interviews lined up. Ben, you have been part of this country for how long? Two months. <laughs> and you're talking to me for a living, okay? <laughs> hey, I get paid for one of the podcasts I do. I just have to read headlines and put it in a serious voice. You don't need voice. to worry. You don't need to worry about a man more interesting than Amanda Pete on your website. Nobody's coming to you for a job, okay? <laughs> and seriously, may I just say thank you to the folks over at Capital Daily for employing me for reading out a news podcast. I much appreciate my small pay every month, but it does the job. Uh, Colin, go to benwaterworth.com right now. And you, I don't want to do okay. this myself. I want you to click on pages and read out shit that I've got on there because I'm telling you, this is legit and this is me trying to be all serious and get a job and shit. Uh <laughs> If I find a way ghetto on here, though, I am closing it quick. Hey, Noah would have written it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just overreact at the reaction, remember? Oh, look at this. BenWaterworth.com. Bio. Outgoing, committed, and passionate. <laughs> I ben love that crap. <laughs> ben Waterworth has had a diverse career across several media platforms since 2004. Ben in Hobart, Australia... 
but, well, born in Hobart, Australia. <laughs> been in Hobart, Australia. <laughs> he has been in Hobart. Ben first spiked a passion for media growing up watching a variety of sports and entertainment <laughs> programs. His fondness for sports broadcasting shone bright early, often impersonating Truly. his childhood idols, Murray Walker and Bruce McAvaney, at length around his parents. He got his first taste of journalism and broadcasting in grade 11 when studying journalism at Elizabeth College in Hobart in 2004. After being one of the first selected to help host the weekly radio show on Hobart's Edge Radio, he was soon hand-selected by the manager to stay on at the station to host a separate show and remain with the station for 13 years. He currently hosts the Oz Network, where he <laughs> takes pot shots at Amanda Peet. <laughs> wow, even I'm bored with that, and I wrote it. There's, there's a great picture at the bottom of you passing a torch to a little boy, doing your best I'm a politician. Hey, son, I hope I can count on your vote one day. <laughs> That's my nephew, I'll have you know. <laughs> Look how interested he is in his uncle, giving him the queen's He's not batons. even looking at you. He's like, look at this thing. How many things guys smash with this? <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm important. Um, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> we have, how long do we have left to try and finish this? Uh, let's, let's try it 2030. Let's try it. <laughs> I, I, look, I, I think, what have we got here? Uh, 11 minutes. Fuck it. Let's do it. Um <laughs> We can, we can do this. We've done we've done things. We're in, not doing it in 11 minutes, but we can do it. <laughs> oh, look, look, I'm going to do this in 11 minutes, Colin Hilding. Uh, <laughs> so they're all on boats. Uh, the Chinese built them. We've got to be in awe at that, apparently. One of them's broken because a roof caved in. How is only one broken? Like, Jesus, these efficient workers, if only one error has happened in the amount of time. So, oh, no, one boat's out of commission. You didn't have a contingency plan if something broke? Fucking idiots. Um, we're going to buy this movie, everyone. So, oh, no, <laughs> all the people can't get on this boat. Now, okay, how many people does each boat hold? 20, 30,000, 40, 50? Like, they've got to hold a lot, right? They're not just going to save the world with 50 people on each boat. So you've now got an entire boat out of commission who are then being idiots and pushing themselves off a thing, their own fault, and you're going to let them onto other boats which probably can barely fit the other ones and then they're stupid enough to keep crushing themselves even when the thing stopped. Let them die. Oliver Platt's right. <laughs> um, anyway, so, oh, no, there's a big speech by Chia with Joel, Chia 4, don't do that. I, the people of Germany, say open the doors, cool, humanity, yay. Uh, and, of course, due to this stupid decision, the door can't close properly. Everyone's going to drown. Meanwhile, John Cusack and Amanda Peet and all the gang have the are the only people who decided to sneak on. No one else thought of this. There's a typical Roland Emmerich moment of, oh, no, the dog can't die, so the dog <laughs> survives. Um, meanwhile, Gordon gets crushed in the gears, and we're over this within three seconds. <laughs> oh, you know what's even worse? I made a picture over it. Well, you know what's even worse about this, right? Like, make this death in a way where it's kind of like, it's okay, John Cusack, I can't go on, you can have my wife. Not, ah! I don't want to die. You literally feel terrible for this person. He's begging for his life and he gets yeah. crushed in the most inhumane way. And then five- and he's, Go. He's done more to he's done more to save them than John Cusack has. He's flown the plane 3 times. Ex- they would all be dead without him. Why are we not mourning his death? And five seconds later, when John Cusack is swimming there, there should be like Gordon guts everywhere in those freaking gears, but they just <laughs> conveniently disappeared. 
Anyway, there's a bit of rope stuck. If they're going to crash into Mount Everest. (laughs) (laughs) I can't not laugh at that. They they are crashing into the north summit of Mount Everest. They're literally near the top. Mount Everest is eight kilometres high. (laughs) How does a tidal wave that big end up near the top? Of Mount Everest. Okay, the Earth has shifted and later on Africa is now the tallest point in the world. How much did the Earth sink? <laughs> Seven kilometres? This is the best part. This is the only boat in jeopardy because their anchor's not working. Are the other boat's anchors <laughs> eight kilometres long? And why is them crashing into snow going to kill them? <laughs> we see them crash into the mountain and it barely causes a dent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's just... <laughs> This is the batshit, batshit craziness of this movie, right? The most (laughs) high-filled, drugs-filled, end-of-the-world movie ever. Roland Emmerich, he wanted his biblical flood movie. He has been sitting on the line, we are going to crash into the north face of Mount Everest for his entire career. And finally, he's been able to do it. Good on you, Roland. I'm glad you're ticking off the bucket list with this movie. Roland Emmerich had a dream. He did have a dream. There it is. He, he's always wanted to climb Mount Everest. What can we say? Uh, and he, <laughs> the only way he could do it is by filming a boat filled with the Earth's human race. And yet, why are we focusing on this one? Let's be honest. Even if this one boat dies, they've still got seven or six others. That's pretty good odds of surviving the human race. <laughs> Like, they're fine. <laughs> Humans are going to be okay. Just because all of our heroes are on the one boat. Um, John Cusack saves the day. The little kid helps. They can hold their breath forever, apparently. Does uh, blonde Russian lady die or do we see her again? She does, yeah. So they all, well, we don't see her again. But she's probably like the old men yeah. who got capsized by the biggest tidal wave. <laughs> well, the dog survives. That's the main thing. Um. And then John Cusack and fucking Amanda Pete hook up because, oh, Gordon's been dead for three seconds, so I'm going to get a, get it on with you again because we got divorced for a reason. Why is it that people get divorced in movies, right? And then and they world, all get back together? Yeah, why does a disaster bring them together? <laughs> like, if I all of a sudden on a, on a plane crashing or the world ending and fucking Louise is next to me, right? <laughs> I'm so, like, I'm sorry. I'm not meaning being mean to Louise. She's a nice person, even though we're not together anymore. But I'm not going to look at her and go, fuck, we just survived the end of the world. Let's get back together. No, I'm going to go find Mallory. There's a reason I'm not with you anymore. And it, we don't know what happened in Day After Tomorrow. But again, him and his ex are like, "We, I love you. Oh, I love you too. Let's say it's happened in three out of these four movies. That's a pretty decent track record for disaster movies. At least with Twister, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt had such sexual chemistry, you kind of believe it. And then they had the fight at the end of the movie yeah. to kind of see why they clearly broke. Bill yeah, Paxton and Helen Hunt did not last another six months after that movie, all right? No. Because they're fighting <laughs> no. already. Oh, mm-hmm. God. Anyway, the, yeah, they survive. Um, and then the the whole end of the movie is them sitting on the decks. They've been there for how long? We get a weird subtitle of Year Zero, Month Three. Tanny Newton's reading Chibber Joel at Gear Four, the book, because cool. Um, they find out that Africa has risen. The North and the South Poles have reversed. How is that even possible? We, <laughs> are, we, are, we, are, we, are, we only see three boats that have survived, and then we get a map of the world of Africa. 2012, we end with an Adam... <laughs> Lambert song because sure because oh, he was a thing in 2009 yes the end 2012 um and and 
yeah, the little girl is like, it's okay, I got pull-ups. <laughs> okay? <laughs> that that is that is the the message of this movie. Once you yeah, survive an end just, of the world movie, you won't need nappies anymore. But she doesn't because her mom bought enough to last what about three days? <laughs> well, let's be honest. The reason the world flooded because she pisses so much. <laughs> well, they didn't have any to bring with them. They rushed out of the house onto an airplane. Her pants have been soaked for the last seventy-two hours. If the world, if there was enough freaking pull-ups, they could have laid them all out in the streets of the world and soaked up the fucking tsunami. But no, little girl has to use them all. Gordon drowned in this little girl's piss, and we don't even care. <laughs> Fuck you, Amanda Pete. <laughs> uh, all right, so <laughs> I, I do like, and again, for some reason, it makes me like Yuri even more. When she's going on and on about to, to uh, Dr. Gordon or whatever, Mr. Academy Award nominee, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, oh, he's the one who wanted me to get these implants anyways. And he's like, he asked me if he could pay for them in installments, too. I'm like, I like this guy. <laughs> and why is that a thing? He, uh, he asked for a discount, too. I'm sorry. If I'm a multi-billionaire, somehow I make money tomorrow. The Oz Network, fucking, I don't know, Bill Gates yeah. goes, oh, wow, that's a fucking great podcast. Have $10 billion. I will still wake up tomorrow and I will go and try and get a discount somewhere. It's just you just built into your nature. You want something cheaper. I don't think rich people hey, just you know go, what? well, I'm a billionaire. I'm just going to pay price for everything. Fuck it, here's another $50 million just for your giggles. When he has personally funded the majority of the rescue operation for the human race, I'm not going to feel bad he's asking for discount for implants, okay? <laughs> this man's a hero. <laughs> he deserves a statue somewhere. <laughs> Justice for Yuri. Justice theory. <laughs> um, and yeah, Oliver Platt and Shiva Legiafor, like, you know, they their debates, I think it's actually meant to have you rooting for Chiwetel Legiafor, but you don't because Oliver Platt, I think it's just how good of an actor he is. He brings up all these things where he's like, you know, saying, oh, all these people, you know, they have to die and he's like, life isn't fair. You want them to live, then donate your passes. Something that the president could have done but didn't. He brings up a point. You're like, yeah. Yeah, donate your pass. Come on. And he doesn't. So it actually makes the other characters look worse than I think Roland Emmerich intended them to because he will bring up a valid point and they do nothing. Isn't it? And then. Sorry, I keep interrupting. I was just going to quickly say, wasn't Deep Impact, they've got kind of a similar lottery system and doesn't. Um, Deep Impact has it, yeah. And doesn't Elijah Wood give it up or his parents give it up so Lily Sabowski can survive? There's something that happens in that that one of them gives it up for it for another person. No, um. Which again, that movie handled it so well. Oh, I know what it is. Actually, no, sorry to quickly. It's when Tia, it's when Tia, Tia Leone gives her, yeah, her spot, gives, gives it, it to Laureen from AR at the end. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew yeah, that was but something. But then Elias Wood, who feels bad that he got the spot on this, and other people didn't, because there were pre-selected people, and just like in this, and then there were those for the lottery. He feels bad that he got the spot just because he spotted it. And his girlfriend, who helped him spot it, didn't. So he's like, let's get married. I know we're teenagers. We'll get married. He comes up with a plan to get her on there. He doesn't just complain like Chiwetel Ejiofor does here, where he's like, come on. What about those people who helped build it? We don't have enough room for everybody, okay? Oh. And they also thought they would have more time. Guess whose fault that is? Can I say, um, Lily Sabowski, bring her back. <laughs> make her a thing again? I miss her. <laughs> Brendan Fraser, you know, Tobey Maguire, she's hanging out with them somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, uh, Josh Hartnett, no, Ryan they're, Phillippe. No, they're on the other one, the one that we don't really care about. That's the next door island. Yeah. Of, they're the reserves. <laughs> they're the understudies. Uh, and then the idea that this is a spaceship, 
Like, <laughs> they wait until the end of the movie to be like, that's not a spaceship. That's right. It's a boat. And that's supposed to be like, what? It's not a spaceship. I think we all knew it wasn't a spaceship. Do it the Cusack. other way okay. around. Like, if you did it the other way around and were like, you think it's a boat and all of a sudden it's a fucking spaceship, then you're shocked. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's not a spaceship. It's too big to be a spaceship. <laughs> it's a boat. <laughs> and these anchors really bother me because, again, they are at the height of Mount Everest. How long are these anchors? And the the sequence where they're – okay, let's start first with everybody dying because uh, I, I said it already. I hate when movies like this make you root for somebody dying. When um, the, the, the girlfriend here – when she gets on the boat and Yuri doesn't, she gives him the finger and the audience is supposed to be like, yeah, but she just also gave the finger to two little boys who did nothing wrong and are about to die as well. She sees them there and she doesn't even have a moment of those boys are going to die. They don't deserve it. She's like, come here, doggy, come here, doggy. Another <laughs> animal sacrifice for the human race. Thank you. Um, and then Yuri gets the ultimate moment. You've just spent the last act of the movie tearing him down. And this man, with superhuman strength, throws his sons to safety and sacrifices himself. He is more responsible for them surviving than Chihuahua Geo for He didn't even discover it. He, the, 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 Steve Carell discovered that the world was going to end. He just passed it along to the fourth in line for the presidency. And he's supposed to be our hero of the movie. Meanwhile, Yuri throws a very heavy child, let's also add, these are some hefty kids, <laughs> throws two of them. Onto a giant boat, and he dies, and the audience is supposed to applaud his death. I hate it. Uh, and it's so really dramatic Gordon, the way he's kind of like on these green screen. Yeah, a very incredible Hulk like. Um, but then Gordon, who we keep flip flopping, like we're supposed to think he's a douche because the son likes him better. He's given cell phones to John Cusack's kid, whatever. He flies a plane, not very well, okay. And then you have the moment where the son is saying to him on the airplane, it's like, why don't you like Gordon? He's a really good guy. And even John Cusack's like, yeah, you really seem to like him. I think I'll give him a chance. <laughs> and then you kill the man. Like you said, almost in like a cowardly death of begging for his life when he is more responsible. The two people who are most responsible for everybody's life being saved are Yuri and Gordon. And they're the ones who get the coward's death. I don't get it. And then there's no moment of Amanda Peet mourning for her husband. And John Cusack and her are kissing three minutes later in the movie. Yeah. Not even a moment of, I still have a husband. Okay, if you're going to go that route, then have them connecting more than just a talk on the airplane, which is mostly just about the kids and everything. It's not like they're like, oh, I really wish our marriage had worked out. Life with Gordon is terrible. He beats me, you know. (laughs) If you want want us to hate him, make us hate him. Don't have the man pleading for his life and then have John Cusack moving it on his wife. It actually makes me dislike their characters more. Um, they're in this water, which by the way is ocean water. In the Himalayas. The of- Himalayas mixed with snow and nobody has frozen to death in the half hour they're in there. <laughs> I don't understand. But again, it is a lot of fun, people. If you've not seen this movie Seriously, in a long time, this is, we thought it. we were bad in 2012. Like, honestly, <laughs> like we yeah, thought, tomorrow. we're going like, why are we so worked up? We love, And I legitimately love Day of Tomorrow. Again, probably one of my top 50 movies. I regret not putting it in there. <laughs> Uh, this movie I can watch anytime. It is so much fun, but I'm so angry about it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
a couple other things here that really just don't make sense. Let's just load it on now. Um, so this is supposed to be a movie about, you know, oh, we should be preserving life. Meanwhile, okay, the giraffe gets a spot, but the humans don't. And Oliver Platt is right again because he makes this huge speech about, come on, leaders of the world. You know, you have to you have to save people. I read an author, a washed up author named Jackson Curtis, who's probably <laughs> and the way he delivers that line. Not good. Again, love the oh. actor. Not good. Probably dead by now. So bad. Uh, Why would you say probably? Fucking the entire world has died except for you guys on the boat. And you're still thinking, well, there might be some survivors in Los Angeles. I distinctly remember the look on his kids' faces. Um, (sighs) I just hear, I'm sorry. Uh, It's so bad. But he gives this huge speech and then... Oliver Platt is saying, no, we can't risk everybody's life here. We're all going to die. Now, if another thing that coronavirus has taught us, these people outside are people without masks storming into a health facility, okay? (laughs) (laughs) He says, we don't have, it's not room. We don't have resources for these people. Again, your fault. You told us we had longer. (laughs) You didn't show your work. (laughs) We thought we had more time. (laughs) I get it. But. But um, they don't have resources. Now, they are letting all these people on board. Is there food for them? Yeah. Is there water for them? Yep. This is ocean water. You can't drink the water that's this washed on board here. And you're now letting them all come on there. There's a reason they say limit gatherings under 10 people. There's a reason they say only those in actual emergencies go to hospitals. These are like people without masks who are sick banging at your door and you just let them in. And guess what happens? The ship floods with water. He even says, see, I told you this would happen. He's right. They have no plan to get out of this. It is only a fluke that this dumb little kid has a flashlight and shines it in the right spot that John Cusack is able to see the thing to remove it. Oh, he gets his hero moment that they're saved. They would all be dead otherwise. Not for any other reason than for a man who stuck on board. You didn't do anything to save a man snuck on board and fluked into, you know, saving you all. Which, by the way, with the amount of water there was and how much this boat is rocking, there are hundreds of people dead on this boat already. Yep. And you sacrificed those other people outside for them. So people still died because of this. They're in, like, the corridors Um, and broken bones and hitting their heads and, yeah. Exactly. Or all these people have frozen to death because this is snow mixed with ocean water in the Himalayas. And can we talk about the altitude? People die of altitude sickness and they go crazy because of climbing Mount Everest. They're eight kilometres in the air and everyone's just like, oh, I'm fine. Yep, there's just water. We're all good. They're not pressurised. The door is open. They're not pressurised yet. But again, fun movie, except... (laughs) We love this movie. (laughs) We immediately see John Cusack getting on with his wife. We've barely even mentioned Tandy Newton. She has a substantial role in this movie. As I said, she is just so bland of a character that i don't care and when she pops in and out i'm like okay she's there we should be spending this whole episode worshiping her like in mission impossible too but instead we barely mention her she's just in the movie and why does she end up with chiodologia for in the end because they're the only two single characters okay it has to happen it's just so tacked on oh these characters are the worst but I'm buying it. What do you want to do with this, Ben? We're, I'm buying it. You're buying it. We're uh, all buying it. I am honestly going to buy this movie. And, like, this is yes. <laughs> the angriest we've ever been for a buy it. I really want to say that because, I mean, let's be honest. We, we were very tempted. I mean, I think you rented Last Jedi from memory. I still binned it. Yeah. But, like, I mean, that still was hard for me because it's a Star Wars movie. I feel like I should never be in a Star Wars movie. But 
I did. And but I mean it's it's kind of it's it's a weird thing that we're getting so angry over a movie that we actually enjoy. We really legitimately enjoy this movie. Um yeah, I mean, do we want to this movie I think got a lot less uh praise than I mean the Daphne Murray didn't get praise, but I mean we said it was kind of, you know, middle of the road, really. This got a thirty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So, you know, a little bit worse. Uh, basically, the consensus of this role in Emmerich's 2012 provides plenty of visual thrills but lacks a strong enough script to support the massive scope and inflated length. Again, two and a half hours long, this movie is, people. Um, Peter Travers, our bestie, compared it to Transformers' Revenge of the Fallen. Beware, 2012, which works the dubious material of almost matching Transformers 2 for sheer cynical, mind-numbing, time-wasting, money-draining, soul-sucking stupidity. <laughs> wow. Uh, Roger Ebert. We love it. Roger Ebert gave it three and a half out of four stars, saying it delivers what it promises. Nice. And since no sentient sentient being will buy a ticket expecting anything else, it'll, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cheer with Joey G for it will be for audiences one of the most satisfactory films of the year. I think that sums it up. I honestly think that sums yeah. it up because I, this legitimately gives you what you're expecting. Exactly. The, it's not Geostorm. It, well, exactly. You're exactly right. It's it's you. Pay to see an end of the world blockbuster popcorn flick. All right. When you are two, maybe professional one day, if we ever get any money, podcast hosts that sit down and analyze this movie, it is absolutely batshitly, stupidly dumb. But you want, you love this movie. Most yeah. normal people aren't going to sit down and do a three-hour episode on the on the ins and outs of 2012. Of course, it's going to sound dumb if you analyze this movie. But it's it's so fucking entertaining. Again, I mean, Batman <laughs> and Robin, we did that with that one. And, but, I mean, I think we were a lot more positive on that. We didn't get so worked up on this. And this is why I like a movie like Die Another Day. Different reasons. I'm an idiot. But, sure, like, it's just, yeah, that sums it up. Well and done, like, Roger Ebert. Rip Roger Ebert. <laughs> there's a lot of action sequences in this movie. I mean, if we count them, you know, there's the three plane scenes and then there's the boat scene in the end. Let's still say that accounts for less than half of the movie. We have not said we were bored by anything in not this movie. Not at all. Although maybe even, one scene, the middle bit in the plane, I'm a bit bored. But yeah, yeah. But but even that had at least the the boxer stuff, you yeah. know. But all of these scenes of just characters talking, we're still enjoying. The the the, the shopping, you know, scene is still slightly entertaining, even with Amanda Peet in it. You know, <laughs> well, the, the the kids in the tent with the mosquitoes still slightly entertaining. Like. It's fun when it's absurd, but then when it's not absurd, it's still fun. And I think this is the difference between this and, say, Geostorm, because, like, I think we like these actors and these actors, let's be honest, these actors look like they're having fun, except for Amanda Peake. She's boring. But, like, (laughs) seriously, like, we we can't complain about these actors in this movie. They're doing what they can and they're they're fine, you know, they're doing what they can. Geostorm, again, Gerard Butler can't hold a movie to me, so that's my first issue. I could could I, let's see try and remember another actor in Geostorm. Who was the the uh, the Oh, who's not Australian? Yep. <laughs> the Australian. No, the Australian girl. We like her. Jai Courtney. What's her name? Jai Courtney's an Australian girl? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, the the antagonist is someone famous. Who's the antagonist in that movie? <laughs> see, we we're, we're proving our point here. We're struggling exactly. and googling I'm it right now. I'm googling it right now cuz it's going to annoy me who the antagonist is in that movie. Um I was thinking of Abby Cornish. Oh, Abby there Cornish. Okay, yep, right. I know who yeah. you're talking about. So now. we like her. Um Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Sorry, yeah, I Ed Harris. How do I remember Ed Harris? I like Ed Harris. Andy Garcia is the <laughs> president of the USA in that movie. And for some reason, yeah. 
We're struggling to remember Ed Harris and Eddie Garcia, <laughs> two incredibly respected <laughs> actors. We just, we just made our point in making our point. <laughs> exactly. That was not scripted. That legitimately was us struggling. But, like, I guarantee you, 2012, people go, oh, that Woody Harris, John Cusack, you know, Danny Glover, yeah. Chid, you were full of Jim for. Uh, India's Steve Carell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they were all in it. The guy who directed Spotlight. No one says Amanda Peet. But, like, and I yeah. think that's yeah. kind of what makes it just, like, a frustratingly bad, fun movie. And let's yeah. let's just say this right now. We can love movies. We can praise movies. We can have our top 50 movies. And that. Just because a movie is bad doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. And I think mm-hmm. 2012 fits into that category. You can like a shit movie. 2012, let's be honest, it's a shit movie. But it's a fun shit movie, and that's why I and, like it. And I spent the majority of this movie telling Jamie, this is so stupid, look at this, and yet I didn't want to turn it off. This is the room of disaster movies. Yes. Yeah, very good, very good. Tommy Wiseau in this movie. Oh, yes. God, that would be great. I <laughs> uh, should quickly mention the box office, uh, $162 Oi. million. That's not a lot for a movie of this scope, but I don't think this was ever – this was never deemed a failure. Uh, no, well, because of the worldwide box office, if you look at that. Wasn't that like about $800 million or something? Yeah, 769.7 million. So yeah. It was the fourth highest grossing movie worldwide that year. But can you look up the North American box office where it ranked that yeah, year? Yeah, so I think I just had that. Give me one because it's stupid box office mojo, the Amanda Peter websites. Um, yeah. <laughs> 14th. So it didn't even crack the top so- 10. So top 14 North America, yeah, but top four worldwide. And I think this was right around the time period where international box office became a bigger deal because up until now, I mean, we grew up knowing that if a movie failed in North America, it didn't matter how well it did in other countries, you would never get a sequel. Yeah. Whereas from this point on, American box office almost meant nothing. You you get movies to this day that are getting sequels, and Americans are like, "What?" But that movie bombed, and it's like, "Yeah, but it made five hundred million dollars everywhere else in the world." You look, and that never happened prior to a movie like this. Well, it opened. Uh, the only other competition that weekend was Pirate Radio opened. Fantastic Mr. Fox opened. Nowhere near it. Uh, it opened yeah. with sixty five, so nearly a third of its gross in its opening weekend. Uh, Christmas Carol was in its second week, still made twenty two million that week. Precious, the men who stare at goats—that's coming soon. Uh, <laughs> this is it. The Michael Jackson movie was in its third week, so yeah, I mean, it it didn't really have much competition. But it's it's so fascinating to look at that yearly one. That yeah, fourteenth, so ahead of it. The proposal. That Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds movie, like a rom com mm-hmm. ahead of that. Night at the Museum, Battle of Smithsonian. Was that like the third or second one of that? That was a third, yeah. X Men Origins Wolverine, second, often regarded yeah. as a terrible movie. Uh, yeah. The Blind Side. I didn't realize that was actually so successful at the box office for, for the, mm-hmm. what it was. Uh, so, yeah, the top 10 Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs, Monsters vs. Aliens, Star Trek, The Hangover, Avatar. Um, that only, uh, ah, I guess that was well, at the was, end of the year, of course. Well, I was just going to say, if, if, if this is the same year as Ice Age, Dawn of the, the or what is it called? Day of the Dinosaurs? Dawn, what is it? Dawn the of the Dinosaurs. One. Yeah. Dawn of the Dinosaurs. That was the movie that um, became the first big news story. People like, this movie has made so much overseas that it almost didn't even need, uh, because I think that became only the second animated film to ever make a billion dollars. And they it, they made such a big deal in the media about the fact that it did it all with international money. So yeah, this and Ice Age three or whatever 
basically made international box office what it is. Fascinating with Avatar. I mean, we obviously know that was until only recently the most successful movie of all time. December 18th, so it was released, what, 13 days before the end of the year, and it still ended up being the fifth most successful movie of the year with $283 million in, like, 11 days. Crazy. Uh, Twilight Saga, New Moon, fourth, up, third. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood, Prince, second. And the number one movie of 2009, everybody, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, $402 million. I've seen one of the Transformer movies. Let's be honest, mildly entertaining, but a dumb movie. To me, the Transformers franchise is kind of like the Fast and Furious franchise. Stop making them yes. happen. All right? Yeah. And, and you know what? Just like the Fast and the Furious movies, I have seen all the Transformers movies and enjoyed one of them. So yeah. I don't know why I keep watching them. <laughs> I've bizarre. seen one Fast and the Furious movie and didn't enjoy it. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was the second one. I heard that's one of the worst ones. But anyway, um, yeah. plot keywords. Please not let me Amanda Pete. <laughs> They're all oh, grocery shopping month. I could be down oh, for that please. one. Drive. Uh, that's that Ryan. What's his face movie? Oh, God, no. 2012 number two, <laughs> Fifty Shades Darker featuring grocery shopping. Uh, and The Hurt Locker number four. Oh, you've got mail number five. Oh, that's a shame. Um, Destruction month. The wi- oh, Winnebago Indian month. Band in North Korea. Hang on. No, stop press. Woman wears eyeglasses month. We're doing it. Oh. Featuring The Office, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Sopranos, and New Girl. Oh, lots of TV shows there. Um, Yeah, these are pretty boring, really. Uh, Pasadena, California month. Yep. Year 2011 month. But it's for pretty boring ones. There is a lot. There's a lot on this. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Supermarket month. Yeah, okay. There's not many good ones here. So, yeah, we've bought it. Sweet. That's end of the world month. Uh, anything else to add? What are we doing next? What are we, we haven't discussed this. Buying what are, we're, we're buying it. We've said it a million times. No, no, no. Next month. What are we doing next month? Oh, next month. Do we have a next month yet? Uh, it's either anniversary month or Rene Russo month. I think it's anniversary month, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we, we we know what we talk about in the show. We're winging it. I think it was anniversary month. So, what are we doing right. for that? Kindergarten cop. Uh, yeah, ghost. Which uh, airplane? Airplane and that other one. <laughs> uh, the replacements with Keanu Reeves. Uh, yes, 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 yes. So, yes. what are we doing first? What's first? You choose. Okay, um, let's go with, oh, I'm, I'm so in the mood. I'm always in the mood for the replacements, but uh, uh, let's go with, let's go with Kindergarten Cop. Let's okay. say that. You can't go wrong with Arnie. I have not seen that movie since I was probably in kindergarten. Maybe not, but like I, <laughs> again, dad grew up, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was just, it was a religion in our house. Yeah. And I, I have seen it. It has been so long, like. Honestly, half the one-liners, I just completely go over my head because it has been that long since I... It's going to be like watching this again. I cannot remember it at all. So I'm almost going into this blind. That's my backstory. But it's an Arnie movie. Automatically, it's going to be amazing. I've probably only seen this a handful of times as an adult, but it's one of these movies that I watched so much when I was a kid that... I could probably quote it to you to this day without even, you know, being prompted. Um, I love this movie. To me, this is the greatest Arnold Schwarzenegger comedy, maybe outside of just Terminator 2, maybe my favorite Schwarzenegger movie of all time. Like, oh, I can't wait for this one. Uh, And yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it, you know, and we get uh, uh, we get 
Arnie and and kids. We get kids talking about gynecologists. We get <laughs> not a puma. <laughs> we get tumors. This is uh, let let's just be honest. This might be one of the most quotable Schwarzenegger movies ever. And it was a comedy about him in kindergarten and a movie that you could actually take a lot more seriously than most of these tough guys with kids like uh, Vin Diesel, the pacifier. Or what was that rock one uh, that he did with kids? Tooth Fairy. Uh, this one is like, well, he did a couple with kids, I think, then. But this one, it, it's I think will still hold up as a decent crime film as well. And what's David Batista's My Spy or something recently or something? Oh like yeah, that? the new one. Oh, can't wait to cover that. Oh god. Um, yeah. So um, look, if you and I look through our messages and we discover that next month was meant to be like Wonder Woman or something like that, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure it was anniversary of Renee Russo. I think this is one of these months where again, no releases are coming up, so we're well, fine. So. The world's ending, so we're calling an audible. Yep, exactly. Um, but thanks, everyone, for the end of the world month has honestly been fun. For a month that we legitimately were like, hey, we should do this. Uh, it has actually yeah. been really good. It's probably something we, we definitely will revisit in some way when the next end of the world happens, but uh, yeah. <laughs> probably more so like we've talked a lot about like Armageddon and, and Deep Impact and sort of we've always wanted to do a month where we kind of compare those. It'll probably be like Armageddon and Deep Impact mixed with uh, Dante's Peak and Volcano. I reckon we'll probably do that. And I I think we do that sooner rather than later, maybe next year, because it's definitely one we've Mm -hmm. talked about for a long time. So it's been fun. Quickly, how would you rank these? I would just say probably Day After Tomorrow, 2012, Bird Box, (laughs) Outbreak. I think that's an obvious one, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, that's maybe our first ever match as well. So there you go. Uh, We appreciate you sticking with this. Obviously, we didn't last that 15-minute time break, but did you ever think we really were? Only 21 minutes over. (laughs) Not our worst effort. Uh, My name is Ben, and fuck you, Amanda Pete. (laughs) And my name is Colin, and thank you for joining us for Deadbeat Parent Month. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at the Oz network.net thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time